Hello there, and welcome to the B&B Show. My name is Brandon Kane here, and this guy to my left, of course, is Brendan Seahawks. Brendan Nelson, back in the house here at the Hawks Nest. Kind sir, how are you doing this evening? Ah, tonight's going good. Tonight is going good. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about these Seahawks who are doing some very interesting things right now, aren't they? It is. It's been an offseason already out the gate, Brendan, of intrigue and uh, would seem to be, at least on the surface of things, a lot of smart decisions. And uh, they have continued to drive towards that direction in this past week since we last spoke and that we've had some uh, honest to God hires now under Mike McDonald and the collection the staff brought underneath him. And so uh, we've got some guys that we've got to chop along on that. Uh, we're going to as well, really, the, the theme of the show as we transition into that as well is going to be to look at really the internal Seahawks free agents and um, kind of build a little bit more for the case for whether me or Brennan are looking to retain him based on some of the salary projections we're seeing from these players on some of the various sites. Uh, so we're going to go through a lot of different ground tonight, coaching, uh, internal free agents. We're going to be getting covering it all here this evening, but uh, no matter what, please do hit that like button, get subbed up to both our channels here, be it Seahawks, Brendan Nelson, or the Hawks Nest. And uh, from that point, I guess let's just jump into these uh, coaching hires because we haven't had a chance to talk about it, Brendan. Um, I, I guess the first one out the gate would be, we haven't spoken about Grubb yet, even with him being hired, right? No, no. Everything of significance has happened in the last week, basically. So we got some stuff to unpack here with every layer of this uh, coaching staff and really four that are supremely impactful. There are four that have happened in the last seven days that I think are going to have an impact on this team. Um, going chronologically, the first one was, I think, Friday last week, Aiden Durd. And I do believe that is how you pronounce it. I actually looked it up. There's a video of him pronouncing it for us. So that was nice of him. I'm going AD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, AD. Uh, Aiden Durd, a uh, British coach uh from uh, overseas a dan quinn disciple he spent six years under dan quinn three in atlanta three in dallas mostly as a defensive line coach and now he gets his opportunity to be a defensive coordinator here in the nfl so uh aiden durd uh i've already made a couple videos on him with my thoughts uh do you have anything of uh uh, of of sign of significance with this guy and what he might be bringing. Uh, you're looking for a positional coach to go to being a coordinator, Brendan. You're looking for a guy that's done a good job in that prior role. I think something that bothered me a little bit about Clint Hurt being risen to the defensive coordinator role when he was was the fact that his background of work here in Seattle wasn't exactly that of wow, he's done such great work down there on the defensive line. It was adequate in my opinion, but it wasn't uh, some monstrously great amount of stuff that he was getting done. On the uh, inverse side of that, when you look at uh, AD here, uh, saying that Micah Parsons coming out and being a guy didn't do a lot of edge rushing out of Penn State, more of a, a off-ball linebacker, he's been great. Demarcus Lawrence has continued to play at a high level. They've gotten young guys coming through there that have played well to their, their roles, but have provided productivity from the interior of that line. I think a lot of the issues, if there were issues with the Cowboy defense, that was a good defense, but if there were maybe more issues than not, it was their linebacker room got thinned out and their secondary started to kind of fail them, especially once Diggs went down with an injury. The front line up there, that defensive line held up there into the bargain, Brendan. And even the guys that are in that kind of rotational role, you even saw productivity from them, the Dorrance Armstrongs, the Sam Williams. I think that that's, uh, that speaks to his ability to uh, train these guys up to have so many so productive. And one little thing I'll say that's also nice in thinking about is that I think he brings the element to this defensive line of the use of the stunts. The, the Cowboys use stunting like no team in the NFL. 
And so he's going to bring that with it. And, and uh, they ran it with a certain, I don't know, certain style and, and unique approach in the way that they did in their commitment to it, Brendan. That makes me wonder if we're going to look to bring that. And now you start thinking about Mike McDonald's uh, uh, very complicated defensive fronts and what it's showing the offense already. And now you stack on top of that the, the stunting ability off the back of it with guys dropping into coverage. And boy, that just adds another extra layer of difficulty to the defense, does it not? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's worth noting that uh, Dan Quinn's background is mostly as a defensive line coach. So learning mm -hmm. under him as his defensive line coach, that's pretty strong. That's something that goes back to Dan Quinn when he was at Florida with the Gators. Some of the yeah. work he did with some uh, defensive linemen that ended up being really uh, high draft picks, guys who played really well at the college level. So I, I think this is, I don't know if it's an exciting hire. Because I don't know how much the DC is going to do on this team right now because he's got a couple guys in front of him with uh, McDonald calling plays, and you've also got Leslie Frazier there. And of the two guys, Aiden Durd and Leslie Frazier, I think I know who Mike McDonald is going to be a little more interested in listening to. Yeah, I think he's in a, what would, if you can call it this, a developmental defensive coordinator role. It's unique, but it's also unique to have a coach who's going to call the defensive play calls. That's just why it is this way. And I don't think you're going to attract some super top-end candidate who is going to be stuck third in the pecking order in any situation. So it's as good as you can hope to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I think the hire is good. I, I wasn't too worried. They couldn't have done much that would have upset me here because I understand the dynamics here. But uh, even a guy like Terrell Basham was pretty good for the uh, Cowboys defensive line back in 2021. He uh, was only there one year but had one of his better years. A guy like uh, Neville Gallimore has kind of slowly started to develop there as well. The uh, one thing that I noticed looking at these Cowboys defensive lines, it feels like they've really had trouble developing that run stuffer. Like Mozzie Smith is the one that everyone talks about, but there's also um, there was also Quentin Bohana. They drafted him with the intention of him being a run stuffer, and it never worked out. Mm -hmm. So that would be like the one blind spot here with Aiden Durd. But for the most part, when I looked at these defensive lines, I was impressed with the the depth of meaningful contribution. Like you said, Dorrance Armstrong, Sam Williams, Odigi Zua. These guys were very valuable parts of this elite defense the last three years. Yeah. And most of the time you're going to get a guy that's going to get one or two guys out. I mean, that's a little bit like what Hurts' whole thing was. was like, well, he got this done with Frank Clark and he got that done with Jaron Reed. So give him the job. Well, this guy, you're seeing the impact throughout the uh, the whole depth of the of the positional groups and that speaks to his ability to train that up you're about you can't discount quinn because certainly he had some contributions into that being his background mm -hmm. is in that spot but um i'm okay with this being that developmental role you just it's with mcdonald run things and frazier is his backup you were set here so this was nothing but just as good as i think you could hope to kind of get for this kind of position and he can hopefully learn even more and, and just gain stronger and stronger into that role all right, so this next one, this was the big one. This was the big swing. And um, there are some Seahawks fans that they, they just completely bought into this one the moment this one came down because uh, this feels like a seismic change in the way things are going to be done in Seattle on offense. A couple days after Aiden Durd, they made it official with Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator, comes over from the Washington Huskies, uh, spent, I guess, three weeks in Alabama, realized there's nothing to do down there. As and, one does. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, uh, yeah, what, what's in Alabama? Come on. I mean, can you blame them? I just uh, incest. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. 
you buy you know you could buy like a 30 acre plot of land for like 30 dollars, i guess but then what what do you do on it nothing you look at it you just end look up at with this a massive end, patch of swamp land swamp land and end up with a dust bowl mm -hmm. right so he quickly came back to washington state was photographed in a pub with john and mike which was uh that was a very fun evening on seahawks twitter by the way that was it was a a awesome yeah it was mm -hmm. it looks nothing like him nothing like him i'm telling you yeah drive-by journalism mm -hmm. but uh we made it happen ryan grubbs your oc and this is that's big like this matters a lot and i have some concerns i'm aware of the fact this guy's never coached at any level in the nfl before but if this works this is going to work really really well so mm. how do you feel about ryan grubb right now well, I think I look at these kind of coaching hires, Brennan, or even the coaching hire we made, and I say to myself, at the onset of this, what would I rather have? We get down to one of those eternal arguments in the Hawks fandom, you know, safe approach. You know, do you take the the trail that's been walked upon that you know that there's no potential, or do you take maybe the potentially a not a shortcut? I don't want to use that terminology here because this isn't a shortcut way of doing it, but I think that you have a boomer bust situation that exists with Michael McDonald that is unique in his hiring. Young hire, youngest coach in the league. Um, you didn't run for safety with that, Brendan strikes me that with this grub hiring, you're also not running for safety. And that means to me that in these hiring and this staff that's been put together, there is a great bust and there is a great, there's a great boom and a great bust factor. And it doesn't seem to me like this, you know, it looks like one to me that will find its way of being just sort of into a middle ground stage of things, which I love pick a lane, go hard, try to take the big swing, see if you can put it up in the second deck. And if you miss, it ain't the worst thing. If it don't work. That's not the worst eventuality here. If if the goal is to seek to try to make the greatest, biggest thing. Um, and sometimes you're going to miss when you try to do that. And sometimes you're going to hit. And if you do things smartly in building that big swing, and that's what I'll say to this, Brendan, is I think these hires have a lot of intelligence behind them. Then you can understand how they're thinking. Yeah, it's a big swing. Yeah, we're going to try to put this up in the second deck. But we also have been, we're on this. We've, we're also doing it intelligently and smartly getting to that place and making these swings. And Grubb's just more of that to McDonald, in my opinion. And would you not feel the same way that this is something you would have wanted to see on the onset of this? Is I'm not to say this, these candidates exactly, but the spirit of the search to be one that sends you in the direction of look for the best. And maybe that that isn't the safe ground. You know, it's like, you know, everybody wants to kind of get both things, Brendan, you know, I want the safety and I want the best. It's like, well, sometimes you just got to pick one or the other. Yeah, I personally did advocate a little bit for the idea of going a little bit safer with this hire. I did think that made some sense because you had already gone kind of bold with the Mike McDonald hire. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean this won't work. And this doesn't mean that this is a bad hire. It's It's not. This is the hottest offensive coordinator in college football coming off the last two years, like the hottest, not one of the hottest, the hottest. Um, the work he did over the last two years in Washington was incredible. And he was taking over a team. And I know obviously Kalen DeBoer has a lot to do with it, but he was taking over a team that was bad, that couldn't move the ball, that couldn't score. I know he got some new players, but he was taking over a team that had one of the worst offenses in school history. And mm -hmm. overnight, takes them to the top 10 in the country in points scored 40 points a game. Like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's a good resume. It's just all in college football. Like he was at Fresno state. What he did at Fresno state was good. Like the Fresno state stuff. And I want to talk more about that in a second here, but if you want to go back to like what he was doing at like Sioux fall, and I understand some people don't want to take that one all that seriously. Right. 
Like, mm-hmm. like it's CU Fall, it's the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, high school. Like, I understand that stuff is whatever. But the other exciting part of this, former offensive line coach. And when you consider the fact that he's bringing, and we'll talk about this more in a second, the Washington offensive line coach with him, it sure seems like we're going to have a focus on this offensive line that we have not had in quite some time in Seattle. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's what makes him a fun spread concept guy, or if we want to call him an air raid guy, Brendan, in that background is that he's run, he he's like McDonald has, it's they have a background in something, but you can see their hands and their fingerprints upon what they're making that is them that is their identity and their particular one to it. And I think in the ways with him that stands to me, strikes to me as number one, spread concept guys don't tend to have the offensive line background. You know, offensive linemen are kind of looked at as sort of like necessary evil. You know, can they move in space? You know, that's what you'll t- you'll typically have an air raid guy might ask you about as lineman. Yeah. But he has more of a care of understanding I've got to get the job done up there up front. Um, he creates the power concepts out of spread. Um, you know, you basically get in, into like those shotgun looks with where you have the two linebackers, the Mike and the Will, and then you get your you get a receiver flexed out. You pull that Will out there if you can with, let's say, a move tight end, and you take him off the ball and move him off, and you get a situation where you have a numbers game and it's only the Mike, and you got your back, and you can get a kind of a hat on the hat and how you block it up, and especially if you're pulling guys back across the screen, the, the, the uh, formation post-snap, which is a lot of what he does is have those guys pull in motion. Um, you really then start to create the numbers game, and especially for a guy like Walker, Pulling that guy out of the line of scrimmage to create the power concepts if in a lot of what he does still gives him an opportunity to utilize what he does best because now that's one less body out of the line of scrimmage, Brendan. You know, it's one less, it's it's a little bit more space in there for him to do his moves, his jukes to get free and uh, say nothing of Charbonnet who also benefits on this. So there's that. And the secondary part, the two other parts I like that are counter to what you usually get in the air raid concepts are the number one, the um willingness to to build the shot plays into the offense. Again. Tends to be a necessary evil with the spreads concepts that we're just here to dink and dunk, dink and dunk, and we're not really going to take our shots over the top, or we'll very rarely do so. Where was him? He's looking to get an explosive play. I think, what did he say, Brendan? Once every 16% of the plays, he wants an mm-hmm. explosive in there. So one that's kind six, of one every six, six right? Yeah. I, th- I thought it was 16. I was trying to listen to the interview that he was giving. It was like, well, 16% would be one of six. So oh, I there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So we got. So one of six plays trying to get it. And then the last point is, is he's not building it to be the hyper, let's go a hundred million miles an hour and snap the ball constantly thing, right? It's, it's, he's not trying to get off too many snaps and he's not trying to make his quarterback run too much. Geno Smith ran more last year than Michael Penix did. So he's right. not needing to build that in. I love all that. And that's all to me a little bit more of a modernized spread concepts where it's like, okay, you spread. But let's not go crazy. You can't have 100, 1,000, 1,150 plays in your defense because you're running hurry up throughout the whole game. You know, can't run your quarterback 400, 200 times in a season and expect that to work. Right. Especially when it's a quarterback like this, an older quarterback who that's not really his game. Um, so obviously a lot of people are looking at what Washington did last year as a template for what we can expect from the Seahawks this year. Uh, which is ton of pre-snap motion, pre-snap motion, almost every single play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to, you're going to go for it on fourth down a lot, although that's more of a head coaching thing. I think McDonald is probably going to enable that. Um, you're going to see. And the interesting thing is, because this is one debate that I've seen, it, it's about the downfield aspect of this offense with Grub now, because with Penix, these last two years, we pushed the ball down the field all the time. Mm-hmm. probably one of the highest rates of downfield attacking in the entire country. Mm-hmm. But 
what some people think is that was more of a Penix thing, where Penix always wanted to take the big shot, and that Grubb might actually prefer to pull it back a little bit like he had it at Fresno State, because his quarterback there was Jake Hayner. The average depth of target in that Fresno State offense was like 8.7 yards. In Washington, it was 10. Mm -hmm. Much more attacking the intermediate areas of the field and basically more of a horizontal passing attack than the vertical passing attack they've had the last two years with panics. So number one, that shows you he can do it both ways, which that's mm -hmm. cool. But when rubber meets the road here with the Seahawks, what do you think Grubb wants? Does he want to just wing the ball down the field all the time? Or is he thinking about this as a horizontal passing attack? Well, I think that he fit with Fresno State and what he did with Jake Hayner had a lot to do with probably a little bit of Jake Hayner's inability to push the ball down the field. Um, you're not going to ask a guy that's got a 40-yard arm to go throw 50-yard go routes. So him leaning on what he does well fits a line. When, and this is where you have seen, whether it's Dirt talking about this, or McDonald talking about this, or Grubb talking about this, they've all been in succession and mentioning this in their press conferences, which is about getting the most out of the players. It's about what utilizing what's here, not about what my thing wants to be. What do I got here is the first step of this process. And then I bring my thing with that. Um, so when it comes to taking shot plays, you have guys that can get deep in Tyler Lockett and DK. Even JSN had some spots last year where he was getting open deep at times. I think when I look at the spread concepts and where it became stilted with a Chip Kelly, where we were all waiting for the Chip Kelly thing to just sort of sweep through the league right about 13 or 14 when he got to the pros, like, okay, well, this is the next evolution offensively and where things go is that it has these things that were detrimental to it, no matter what it was doing from a production standpoint, right? I mean, didn't like Foles throw for like 40 touchdowns or something in this offense one year. Yeah. It's it's that it had these detriments and he's attacked that. And one of those detriments was the, the spread where you're just sort of picking and picking the defenses creep up, you know, and they start to take that stuff away. And you'll have given defenses that will eventually say, okay, we're going to take this away. And you don't have that stuff built in your offense and you don't have the playmakers on the outside that can test us deep now. And that's where I think he's understanding that and in, in making this attack. Part of it's a little bit to your point of, I got Penix who's got the arm to do this. Part of it's also that I think that if I'm running a spread concept, air raid concept now, and especially pro level, I've got to understand I can't just live and die completely by what I'm doing on short and intermediate. I've, I've got to know the defenses in this day and age are going to realize I'm doing that and they're going to drive up on those routes and, and make them less effective. So I've got to still challenge them deep. I think you see this too, Brendan, with the, the trick play usage because Washington averaged more than one trick play a game as well over the past couple of years, which I think is also indicative of the fact that your trick plays aren't looking to make a little you know, short throw completion. Trick plays are looking to go get big chunks down the football field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I I did think about that a little bit too, all the trick plays that we ran. But I guess the point here is that Grubb has excelled with both. He's excelled with mm -hmm. a quarterback that can't throw the ball past 30 yards. And then he excelled with Michael Penix. And both offenses had a lot in common, but there was a clear difference, a clear difference once you had the quarterback who could actually push the ball down the field. So... Some people took the grub hiring as a belief that we're just going to move heaven and earth to go get Penix in the draft. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not so sure about that because he's found success with completely different types of quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I think as well, the offensive linebacker round you think might factor into this outlook on Penix as well, where um, I, do I want to put Michael behind this offensive line where it's currently sitting? Um, the, the only way a Penix selection makes sense to me is if like your next three picks are on the offensive line. I, I, which yeah. I know the team couldn't afford to do. And, and so it just, I come back again and again, I just don't know how that adds up. This guy will be uniquely aware of the fact that he can't let his guy get hit. 
he'll be uniquely aware of the value of an offensive line. He'll be very keenly aware of the fact that this offensive line that we have currently constructed will not get that job done. And I think that uh, I don't know how he can look at the situation other than Brendan. Here's what I'll say is if, if Grubb makes that pick as much as I'd go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I'd also go, wow, though, that really tells you with a guy like Grubb on this of not just a comfortability factor, but of a believing in the upside of Penix at that point. Right. That's a that's with the offensive line, the state of it is it would be a ringing endorsement to the fact that he sees Penix as this as a defining talent. I'm not saying generational, but just as a defining type talent at the position at that point to take him given that those circumstances. Right. So I like the hire. I'm aware of the fact that it can go wrong, but I'm willing to live with the fact that it can go wrong. Like um, mm-hmm. most things can go wrong. Most vast majority of things that you can do are going to go wrong. Like uh, you, you could um, hire Jim Harbaugh. And I guess that couldn't go that wrong because he's just been so good everywhere he's been. But short of that, you're taking risks. This is a nice risk to take because the upside is we're going to have one of the best offenses in the league. That's right. The boom, the boom factor. And to your mm-hmm. point on the on the bus factor of that, I've related it to the Dan Campbell situation. If it, it you've taken the big swing, okay, we swing and miss, go through this year. It's just not working. He's a college coach. Go back to the college level. So be it. Say la vie. You can then move around and go get your next offensive coordinator. Maybe there's a better, brighter candidate at that point that jumps to the surface, at the forefront at that point. Maybe more certainty at that point, if that's what we had to do. Um, and that's what Campbell did with Detroit. Bad first year, comes back, gets Dan Jan, you know, gets uh, his guy Johnson in there in the second year, and they take off. So it's we're it, there's that's the thing to me is why not take the big swing if there's not that downside of we're stuck with this guy for four years. You know, if you can turn it around if it's that bad, why not go hard with it? And uh, I'll tell you, the track record of Alabama offensive coordinators recently, Sarkeesian out there at Texas, Lane Kiffin down there at Mrs. What is he at? Uh, Miss, old is it Ole Miss he's at? South Carolina, I think he's at. Um, so, no, it's Ole Miss. He was down at Ole Miss as the head yeah. coach there. So, yeah, that's you know, right. There's, there's a little bit of a track record of success those guys, too. They, I know it's a new hire, but I like yeah. it. All right. Um, and he brought his buddy with him, Scott Huff, offensive line coach from Washington, for I think the last seven years. So not only did he coach this offensive line, which was considered by many to be the best offensive line in college football, he also coached some of the Chris Peterson offensive lines that protected Jake Browning, that included a player like uh, Trey Adams, who at Mm -hmm. one point was considered a future top five pick, and then the injuries got him. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some other good players on those offensive lines, too. Nick something. uh, Yeah, Jackson Kirkland might have been one of the guys on that offensive line. And the center, yeah. the, Nick, the Nick kid, Nick something. Uh, the guy who went to the Browns, I think. I think I know who you're talking yeah. about. He's like yeah. a backup on the Browns now. So real good offensive line stuff there. I, I Look, the Ryan Grubb hire is way more impactful, but I like the Scott Huff hire more. That that's He's going to be good. I'm really excited about that. Love his track record. He's got two guys that I think are going to be drafted. I think Rosen Gardner's been a guy that everybody's been having at the back end of the draft who's going to rise up boards, I think, because of the back that he can play both left and right tackle. Um, so putting two guys in this draft alone, if, if not more so, um, just this draft. So, and you gotta, the one thing that stands out with these guys and him taking the offensive line coach from Washington and his background at UW, you gotta have guys that can move. That's, that's going to stand out here. The, the, well, it'd be nice if they can move thing of the past is gone. They have to be able to move out in space when you evaluate offensive linemen for the scheme moving forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and hopefully the philosophy will be somewhat similar to the philosophy we're having under Waldron and Dickerson. So we don't have to reboot too much, which uh, I don't think will be a big problem. I think that um, Scott Huff probably looks at guys like Charles Cross and goes, yeah, I want to coach that guy going forward. 
He's an air raid. He comes from an air raid. Remember that with the thing? Yes. Yeah. Cross this thing is air raid. Where does Robert, where does Abraham Lucas come from when in college? Air raid, yeah. Air raid. So I mean, it's like uh, pure, pure as the pure as the day is long, so to speak, when it comes to both Lucas and Cross in this scheme. And uh, Bradford's super talented. I don't know if it ever manifests, but super. He's talented. athletic enough. He's athletic enough. It's going to be about that Scott's you know toughest job, and he's got a, a great a great lump of clay there to work with that does fit to the scheme. But can you get it refined enough to make it workable? Mm-hmm. Right. So, and we had one more hire, and this was earlier today. So we haven't had a ton of time to dig into it, but I did a little bit. It's uh, Jake Peets, new passing game coordinator. And I've said for a while, I think that passing game coordinator hire is important because when you have a guy with no NFL experience at OC, I think you want to offset that with a passing game coordinator who does have that experience. Mm -hmm. And Jake Peets is very much that. He's been around in the NFL for a while. So, uh, any thoughts on him? Well, the recent work is uh, I when I was LSU coordinator I was when well was he there at the time they won the national title and that offense was just basically beating the brakes off teams. Nah, that was uh, wasn't Joe Brady, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't them him there. Um, the work the Rams did last year was good. The past couple of years doing that, what he's done there with the Rams is good. Though you do go, how do I separate what's there with McVeigh and Stafford to what he's done? When it there's not a lot to me on this hire that I can pull from Brendan other than to say that what sits at the forefront of what the Hawks are doing is they're trying to take advantage of all, all areas right now of the modern era, you know, blitzing stack fronts, uh, spread concepts, an ability to run this, right? Like they're, they're trying to do a lot of different things here. And I think within that is also going to be some of the, the forefront of what the Rams do at the head of what they do, which is that we're going to run out a lot of the same formations, but we're going to run out of all these little iterations out of it. And especially when it comes to passing game coordinators and setting up route concepts and flood zone concepts and getting defenses into that bind. He's been at McVay's knee here, I think, the past couple of years in understanding how important that is. Because there's a lot of those just little details on making those plays look exactly the same. That's at the, the head of it. Is that I feel like a lot of these NFL teams, Brendan, when they, they go to different plays, there's all these tells across the board from the players. You know, there was the old... Uh, Trent Williams thing from a couple years ago of him being in the stance when he's in a running play to a pass play. You know, his stance mm-hmm. was different. You could tell, but it can be other things too. It can be this, this guy does this when he goes in motion and you can always pick that up and it's, and McVay removes the tells of the offense prior to the snap. That's the most important thing. The flood zone concept stuff and how to go after coverage is kind of the secondary thing that he can bring. But that's the part where I think they're really probably trying to glean from because that's at the head of what he does best. Right. Well, one thing to consider, uh, 2014, uh, Jake Peets was an offensive assistant with the, at the time, Redskins. Mm. And that was the Godboat staff. Remember the, uh, they had McVeigh as OC, Kyle Shanahan was on that staff, Matt LaFleur. I think they had Bobby Slowick as well. That was the, you know, greatest coaching staff that never was. Mm-hmm. And um, so Jake Peets works under Sean McVeigh for that year. And then a little less than 10 years later, McVeigh brings him back as a passing game specialist with the Rams. So I, you, you might, you might look at that and say, Hey, he liked, he liked what he saw enough to remember that guy and say, Hey, I need a passing game specialist. Get me that guy. So I kind of like that. I also like the fact that he was an offensive assistant with the Crimson Tide in 2013, then left. And then he went back five years later as an offensive assistant. So they liked mm-hmm. what they saw enough to say, let's go get that guy back. So I see things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What was that? 
He doesn't burn bridges, definitely, mm -hmm. in, the, yeah. in that case. You know, like yeah. he endears himself. That's a great point because you know a lot about people willing to bring it back as we've seen a lot of times those people like, get him out, don't ever have him come back, kind of, yeah. you know, if you got that vibe. You, the teams are not looking to bring you back in. Yeah, and um, also I think that he had a role in the development of Derek Carr when he was starting out with the Raiders. Uh, he was an assistant and became the assistant quarterback coach. And then he became the quarterback coach across those years where Derek Carr was really coming into his own. And, you know, Derek Carr was not some super blue chipper coming into the NFL. He was a good prospect, but he wasn't even a first round pick. So no. some impressive development there because that one year, I think it was 2016, Derek Carr was in the MVP race until he broke his legs. So there was something good going on there. Maybe playing some of his best ball of his career at that time, if you really break it all down to the, the bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's never really gotten back to the way he was playing then. I think that broken leg really kind of sapped, uh, just sapped something out of him that he's never been able to get back. It happens, man. We think these guys, these injuries in the modern age can just bounce right back, no problem. But sometimes it's just you you don't. What stuff strikes me too with cars, I think he has a little bit of that battered, battered syndrome going on as a QB, right? All those years <laughs> behind the Oakland line getting kind of beat up. And it's like... Watching him this year, there were some gun-shy moments from in the pocket where it was like he was dipping out on throws and trying to get a ball out just too quick on it rather than sitting in the pocket and trusting it. I think that that's that accumulation effect that comes into quarterbacks after a good amount of time. You know, happened to his brother. Right. So that's it on the coaching staff. But um, I, there, there's a couple other little things. Like we hired an assistant special teams coach today, uh, a couple other guys as well. We officially made it official that Carl Scott is coming back. So some stuff like that going on, but those are the big ones. Those are the four I really wanted to talk about. All good hires. I think Brendan, you'd agree. I think, and it's maybe not, you know, some of these guys don't have as much track record, understandable, but some do where it's good. You, you got a guy like grub having that guy from the Rams there. Who's got a little bit of the recent pro experience too, to be kind of like, okay, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, help him out like that a little bit like Frazier's helping out McDonald, I think in the same kind of way on his side of it. So, um, uh, I think real good hires. I, I, this is a good staff they put together. These are exciting, exciting minds seem like smart guys and listening to talk today. All of them seemed like very bright guys. You know, they were on it with their points. They have a vision. They seem to be aligned in that vision and what they're trying to do and their approach. And especially at the forefront seems to be it's about maximizing what you have in your players. It's it's less about I have my dogmatic scheme that we have to adhere to. And it's more about across the board offense and defense that we're trying to get the the most out of what these players have inside of them. Mm -hmm. That's right. So um, let me that's get to it for the coaching stuff. So let's, yeah, let's take a look at some of these uh, super chats. This one's for you. I know he just uh, membered up with me last night. So just a 12. Thank you for becoming a member of uh, Brendan Nelson's channel. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Just a 12. Appreciate Very you for nice. that. Just that's a, that's uh, that is a cool like username. It. I like yeah. the uh, I have God thing going on there in the, in the deal too. <laughs> Uh, Nolan, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Nolan, it's great to see you in here tonight as well. Says Grub really impressed me. Clearly has been prepping for this move for a few years. Seems ready and up to the task. Loved hearing more than Petisms. Mm -hmm. Well said. Very well said. Yeah, yeah. He had some specific things to talk about. I mean, some of the press conference was kind of uh, just boilerplate and stuff like mm. it's so cool being able to go from the Huskies to the Seahawks, not even having to move out of the state, just having, you know, your next job be right there. But yeah. uh, there was some stuff he said that was pretty uh, illuminating, I think. I do too. Um, and I, I think that um, <clears throat> what I did like about him, I think is what Nolan does point to most, Brendan, because I do agree with you. A lot of the stuff, and we're going to have to wait on some of the detail stuff, right? When it comes to his kind of more specific points of plan. 
But the part that Nolan's talking about that I really liked is when he talked about, for instance, the connection with McDonald's and going last year to the combine. And first off, going there to support Penix in preparation for the next year when he would be going to do draft, you know, helping him out with that. But also going there, you think, to probably, um, like he was saying, have a vision in, plan, in play for when I want to uh, go up and be, a, I want to eventually get up and be a coach up there. I'd like to make some connections with guys and those guys come together. So it's more like, as opposed to Brendan, somewhat of what we thought, which was that, okay, uh, Grubb wants to leave the college level because the NIL monies and the NIL situations made everything a pain in the butt and he didn't want to go to Alabama. And, you know, no, he's actually had an eye on the prize of the pro level now for at least a year going back and probably much further back than that. And that to me, I don't know, it just makes me feel a little bit more, this is his dream to be here. He's not here because, well, this is where circumstances brought me. This is where my vision took me to want to be. And he was trying to execute that vision last year by going to the combine and making those kind of connections. I think a lot of other lazy coaches in that situation wouldn't have put out that kind of effort, Brendan, saying nothing of having Penix's back and supporting him in that way like he did too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's been working towards this for a while. It's not necessarily every day you're able to jump up to an OC position in the NFL without working your way up the positional coaches. Mm -hmm. But um, with how successful he's been at the college level, it is probably warranted in this case, right? I think it is myself. Yeah. I did, when you've done this kind of work, like you said, he did it overnight. This is not a thing where it took him three years to get this instilled in UW. And as you also said, was not taking over a full cabinet cupboard full of talent. That's like, Oh, look what I've got to work with. I no, he had, it was kind of empty and he, but he did it in one year turned over in that very first season, bam, you're going. And that to me speaks to the effect of that coach than on that program when it's not a matter of it takes some time to get all the prime talent in here, especially at the college level, it becomes, no, I have such a good system. I have a good mind. I have a good understanding. I can do this job so well. I'll come in here and flip this right over. And as you said, he did it at Fresno State too. So uh, I, that's why I just think he is legitimate in his in his rise here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, though, Nolan. Uh, well said on your part and appreciate the donation. Coda Dad, thank you for the $10 as well. Appreciate you. Great to see in the head chat. Says, happy Pete was moved out. Love the McDonald hire, but the rest of the new coaching crew seems like a Bush League group. But I thought Carol was going to be a bust. So what do I know? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't super high on Carol when we got him either because he did so poorly at his first couple of uh, head coaching stints in the NFL. I just thought college was a different beast. I, I will admit that one. I didn't see him doing what he managed to do. <laughs> it's fair critiques at the time too. When you think about the fact he's players coach that just seemed to fit best at college. Like you can't do that. The, you know, you'll end up letting them run the, the players end up running the show. If you bring that mentality to the, the pro level. And I, I, I don't know where, I can't remember exactly where I was on it. If I was like, I just remember not like, I think it was more of, I was just driven by the, I don't think more is going to be the guy. <laughs> it's just something yeah. as long as we get off of this, we'll be okay. You know, on it. Um, I think when it comes, well, you address the question first on this one with the, the heart of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I'll grant that some of these hires are unconventional. Like Ryan Grubb is unconventional. Mm. I think that typically speaking in this circumstance where you have a first time head coach in the NFL, you, you are thinking about getting somebody like a Frank Reich, somebody with experience, somebody who's play called before at the NFL level. Even mm -hmm. somebody like Chip Kelly would have been a little more boilerplate than what we got with Grubb but mm. he's not bad like don't think for one second that Ryan Grubb is a bad hire this is the number one college offensive play caller in in the in the country right now mm. like who's, who's better no one you, 
I don't even know who else is in the conversation with Grubb. That doesn't mean it's going to work. That doesn't mean there isn't risk here. But I definitely don't view Grubb as just some guy we had to get because everybody else was gone. No, I don't either. And I'm not still sure that Frank Reich really wanted when thinking about that situation, Brennan, I really don't think as, as evidenced by the fact he's still not been announced as an offensive coordinator anywhere right now. And I have a feeling that he's going to take the year off. Um, I think he's had to bounce around a couple times and I just don't know if that was an option. And, and my point on that being is I don't know that there was really a great option out as an OC out on the, on the market. You know, you can get known quantity versus unknown, or as Brendan said, unconventional versus conventional. But that doesn't mean bad going one of those two different ways. And when I did look at the open market of guys out there, Eric Bieniemy, Chip Kelly, well, I, I, I mean, it's they wouldn't have been bad hires, but would they be significantly better hires just even on the surface of it than a guy like Grubb? I don't know. I'm not so sure on that. Um, and when it comes to the rest of the staff, the DC was going to be unimportant. I certainly think that uh, Cody Dad, when it comes to Leslie Frazier, there's nothing bush league about Leslie Frazier. That's a Super Bowl champion, both as a player and a coach, and he's been in this mm -hmm. league for years. And even in his recent stints, you have seen the effect he's had on the coaching staff and the Bills versus when he then left and where that Bills defense went. Um, so he's fantastic hire. Um, but I, I, I think when it comes to the other DC that was going to make it hard with Frazier coming in and bringing in the DC, he's the guy now the third in that crew, and he doesn't even get to call the plays. You were not going to attract a real vibrant, great hire at the DC, given those factors at play. Um, kind of like Coach Carroll was never going to bring in, for instance, the, the great prime OC. We know that in retrospect because of the fact that he was going to have a big effect on the offense and a big finger in that particular pie and what he was telling them to do. Um, this isn't a bad thing the way we've set it up. It just it does in means you can't go to everybody and kick, you know, knock on every door because you know people are going to go look. No, what's the benefit to me? I got to sit third rung and be named the DC. It's like I, that doesn't that's not attractive for me. Um, but yeah. they've gone for upside, Codad. That's the nice thing here to me. They're untested, unconventional, but you also are seeking upside. You're not going for for the untested guys who don't seem to have a lot to them. You're going for guys who seem to have that prospect, bright future, high ceiling kind of coaching uh, potential uh, pedigree to them. And I like that's why I do like these hires. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and Huff, I mean, Washington's offensive line won the award for best OL in the country last year. So you're also probably getting the best offensive line coach in college football as well. So mm -hmm. I know it's college football. I know it's a different game. I know not everything is going to translate, but that's what Jake Pete's is for. He's here to help translate some of that stuff because he has NFL experience. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. Yeah. Me too, man. But we'll see how they go, Codad. And the nice thing is if they are not the greatest hires, you're not stuck with them for years and years and years. It's it's something that will can get itself fixed if you know you left, you let it play out a little bit. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Appreciate the uh, donation though, Codadad. Thank you so much, man. Noel Hypothesis, thank you for the $10 donation. He says, you guys are the best Seahawks content on the web, and I just want to show some support. Well, that is very kind of you, Noel. Thank you. He says, go Hawks. P.S., any plans to do a triple stream with KJ all day in the future? Uh, triple stream would be hard, man. It, it's like those, uh, it's like on election night when you'd watch like <laughs> CNN or something and they've got like 16 people yeah, in yeah. the boxes and they're all talking over each other. Like totally. at a certain point, it's tough. It is. It, it, it does get a little difficult with it. I think uh, we'd be open to doing it. Um, but again, too, I, I think KJ is kind of rolling, doing his thing with it. I've reached out to KJ at times on Twitter and not got a response back. So I've tried to present it out to him on it. I don't know if he's really interested in doing that or just kind of doing his thing, which I, I, I totally would get. Um, but it, definitely, I think I'm open to doing it if he's open to doing it. Just uh, just got to knock that. Just got to get him in on board with it, I suppose. Yeah. Seems like he's open to doing some pretty fun stuff. 
I think he will. And that's kind of the the space of this. So uh, I'll try to reach out again to him, Noel, and see if we can get a response back from him. But I would love yeah. to do it. Love to talk. We might have a bunch of questions I'd love to ask, man, and just to pick his brain. I don't know if he'd be willing to answer all of them, but I'd, I'd ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, Noel, you're awesome, man. Thank you for the don't know. Appreciate the support. Oopo coming in with a $20 donation. Oopo, man. Thank you for the big dono. Says a uh, huge Mike McDonald fan but not the other coaches. But we'll never know what the alternatives said in the interviews. I need every Friday off to attend QAnon meetings or I'm proud of Jamal for doubling down. <laughs> so I trust John. Yeah, that that is kind of the factor that we can never know about, right? We don't know how these interviews went. Like um, it, it's come out over the last couple of weeks. And I think we can kind of safely assume this because we're hearing it from some other teams as well that uh, Ben Johnson's, didn't not interview well. And that's part of the reason why he stayed in Detroit. He mm -hmm. doesn't seem to have that head coaching X factor, kind of like uh, Nathaniel Hackett didn't. Yeah, that's it. That is what we were hearing initially. We're hearing that more now. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, Brendan, do you feel like that, that we were really looking at when we look at these coaching hires that are there? Was there really even that many guys out there that were other sparkling alternatives? I mean, say nothing of the DC or OC, but just we're talking about these kind of coaches. What else was out there that you were going to go, you know, grab or pluck from where, you know, um, seems a little bit lean on some of the options out there in certain respects. You mean for like a head coach? No, just for some of these other, cause he's saying he's a, he's a huge Mike McDonald fan, but he's saying the alternative. Oh, oh, oh wait, the alternative said in the interviews. Oh, okay. No, you're speaking to the head coach. I really misread your question. So but that's my bad. I was thinking he's meaning on the other one. Um, but yeah, we don't know. We don't know, man. And, um, yeah, I, I'm. I can pretty much. I think Ben definitely probably didn't have a good interview with that. They, they, yeah, they like go to Mike McDonald. Yeah, they 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 keep saying that like the enemy doesn't know how to interview. Like he never has a good interview, which is why he's <laughs> the league has basically given up on him at this point. Um, it's hard to factor in things like that. Um, you know, people were saying that Vrabel didn't get a job because he's too big and these GMs are like scared of him. I was hearing that too. Like they were worried he was going to try to physically intimidate him to get him to do what he wanted. And I was like, what yeah. has gone on at Tennessee? What, where this, at? that's such a random, there's big, big head coaches. I've never heard of a, a head coach that was like, you know, he's just so intimidating. I mean, we've had the Dick has come through the league. We've had the, I, I've never heard it ever mentioned like that. That was so out of left field to me, man. When I heard that about Vrabel. Yeah. <laughs> What, what is Vrabel going to do this year, man? I mean, Andy Reid's not retiring. He can't even take the Kansas City job. What is well, this comes do? back to this becomes back to the Niners situation that makes it interesting because the Niners, of course, are busy right now, um, screwing themselves over a bit, especially I think firing Wilkes because now they either have to get the untested guy that'll be the yes man for Shanahan, which is eh, that ain't going to work, or they'll go for something wild like a Vrabel. But then now you're going back to you don't want to blitz. The whole point of you firing Wilkes was because you didn't like blitzing. Yeah. Well, Vrabel's going to want to blitz. Yeah, I got a little prediction with that Niners thing. I think they're getting Staley. Oh. The only issue is you would have to transition over to a 4-3 probably. Or excuse me. You, no, 3-4. You'd have to transition to the 3-4. Yeah. But I think Staley might actually be what they end up going with here because – Clearly, they want somebody who's going to be good now, and Staley's done enough recently to show he'll probably be good quickly. And they've just they've stayed to that scheme and system so hard through. I mean, they've gone through three defensive coordinators and have stayed with that same wide nine system. You know, um, that's the thing for me is I'm like I I could see him doing that, but that's that's the part where I, I think they've gotten themselves in the pickle with the situation is because now you're going to push to do something different, and everything you've been doing so far is working. This would be the definition to me of breaking something mm -hmm. that's working. 
you know, yeah. a little bit in the Well, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it's all Steve Wilkes' fault that he couldn't stop maybe the greatest quarterback <sighs> of all time in the Super yeah. Bowl. You know, that that's easy to do. It's, uh, it's going to be easy to find somebody who can do that. Very, very simple scapegoat in this one. And I, I don't think it's doesn't add up to me that it, that was on him or that he should have been fired. I thought he did a fine job for them. You knew you probably weren't going to get the exact same performance from the last DC who had the number one defense, basically the league or close to. So it's like a tiny little itty bitty dip down. And it's like, get out of you. Get out of here. It's like, how about you call the right call heads or tails and you take the ball next overtime coach? Huh? How about that? <laughs> Yeah, um, they could get Carroll. Some some Niners fans are actually talking about them getting Carroll as please, DC. <laughs> please do it. Please do it. Please do that, San Francisco. I yeah. swear, I, please do it. Would you, uh, How scared are you going to be about going against Coach Carroll defense? I, I'm really excited to see Fred Warner drop into zones on every single play just yeah. right in the middle of the field, watching wide receivers run right past him. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I, I, I hope to God they do, Brandon. I, I would laugh my ass off. And Carol's like, I'm going to show them. I'm like, yeah, you'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see on that one. But yeah. hey, at least, at least Shannon won't have to worry about it blitzing too much, right? Yeah, that's true. That's the big issue, right? With Wilkes, blitz too much. You ain't getting that with Carol. So, mm. yeah. I mean, it was weird that he blitzed as much as he did when he's got that amazing front four, but you're not going to have that front four anymore. They're apparently cutting Armstead. I don't think they can keep Chase Young. Like you're going to need to start blitzing a little bit more probably. Probably. And that's what you knew you were getting with Wilkes with some of his background. I mean, he had a, he had a league year one year, I think he almost blitz like just about 50% of the time when he was been a defensive coordinator before in the past. So he's going to blitz. That's what you knew you were getting. And that's why that hire was a little bit strange where it's more of like, well, this guy did good at Carolina. Let's bring him in versus does this guy run the system we want to run? Does he do what we want to do? You know, no. And that causes the issue, but I, I think they're in a pickle, Brendan, right now. And it's between going for some weird outside the box one, changing the defense, or just going for that yes man that's internally in there already that you have to roll the dice and hope and pray he's going to be able to ascend to the position and hold on and make it work. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a little dark. Upo, man, thank you for the $20 drop, brother. Very kind of you. Garth uh, Knight with a $5 donation. Thank you, Garth. It says, fellas, Geno Smith's arm town is being questioned in the chat by my eyes. He's in the top quarter of the league in that respect. Mm. Yeah, a lot I of think, things get questioned about Geno Smith that don't make a lot of sense to me. I got to be honest. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a subject for me, Brendan. That's been just hammered in my chat on my live stream shows. It's when I've I've kind of reached to my end to my point on where it's like, man, I don't know much more what I can talk about with him that in this conversation with it. Um, there are folks that are out on Geno, man, in the fan base, and they are out. It's you, there's mm -hmm. no sense of getting them in. There's no argument to bring them in. They are definitely passionately out. Um, the arm strength of Gino is yes. In the top third of this league. Indeed it is. Is he, is he in the top third from an arm strength standpoint? Yeah, he is. Um, that's why last year, the year before he set the league, he, we had the most big time throws in the league. He didn't accomplish that with a powder puff arm. He accomplished that because he could put it in a, in a short spot. Think back to just that Saints game alone, rolling to his left, hitting Noah Fant for a 25-yard completion. Not many quarterbacks can get that with that to the left, get that kind of arm, arm velocity on the ball. Or the two locket throws in that game alone down the seam, 50 yards down the field to a spot in between sometimes triple coverage in one place. Um, yeah, he's got the arm strength and definitely. Yeah, and we never had the offensive line last year for him to do that, so we didn't get to see as much of it in 2023. It, it, trust me, his arm did not fall off between 2022 and 2023. Nope. 
as to Brennan's point, you need to have pass protection. So for the seven step drops to work for the long developing plays for the deep plays, it doesn't happen on a three step drop that he just launches it off his back foot and goes, okay, I'll just put a blot of air under this. <laughs> you know, no, you've got to get down to the seven steps. You got to get that extra second of, of beat that the lineman got to hold up. And as we saw with the pass protection, that wasn't happening this year, but that's part of the optimism for the future is that you get that on point and with it, you'll get those big time throws back and, and with it, you'll see the best Gino. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Garth. I appreciate that donation and well spotted on your part. Zen Lunatic, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, speaking of new hires, ESPN is reporting that we hired Frisman Jackson as wide receiver coach, was wide receiver coach from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Frisman. Uh, Pittsburgh knows their receivers, right? Maybe more than any other team out there when you consider how quickly they've been able to like cycle through them in recent years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those positions for me with the Steelers. When I think of Steelers, I think of wide receivers and linebackers. Linebackers and receivers, really, they come first. But I think like they've just got a rich history when you go through the time and thinking about them of always having, if not star receiver guys out there like an Antonio Brown, there's always a Heinz Ward. There's always a Plaxico Burris coming through there. there there's always you know strong receivers. Uh, George Pickens, Deontay Washington right now. Um, they, they do a good job. It seems like in developing those guys. So, uh, bringing him in for that role. Um, it seems like Sanjay Lau, that was our previous guy, right? Yeah. He was well-respected locker oh, room. Yeah. So big shoes to fill there, but, uh, he seemed like a pretty good hire. Zen lunatic. Yeah. From what I know, seems pretty good. I mean, is some of these, uh, uh maybe he's doing something to make these Pittsburgh receivers lose their mind. Cause it seems like that's happening quite a bit lately. You know, you got the chase Claypool stuff. His, his career is basically in the tank now. I don't mm-hmm. know what's going on with him, but he he may as well retire, I feel like. I don't think anybody's going to want to touch him. <clears throat> Pickens has got some stuff, the AB stuff obviously. Maybe maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe he's playing maybe he's playing the bongos on their head after practice every day and they got this severe version of CTE. I don't know, but other than that, he's doing great. I think Pickens just getting gets tired of he's got Pickett throwing him the ball through his first two years. He knows he's probably one of the best receivers from a talent standpoint in this league, and he doesn't get used because his quarterback can't throw the ball. Uh, that's got to be mighty frustrating, especially once you've gone through it for a couple of years. And with Chase, yeah. it's just that you know he just throttled it back from the second he became a pro. I mean, he just it was like do all this work to become a pro, and then I'm I'm chilling at that point. <laughs> and then, Hey, you know, it's hard to predict that kind of behavior. It's like that Isaiah Wilson guy, I remember from Georgia, the tackle. Yeah. It's oh, like, yeah. They just go, uh, based on what you heard with him, remember that? There was like, there was no pre-draft um, red flags on the guy or anything that was ind- indicative that there was going to be a problem with him. And then right after he's drafted, it's off the rails they went. Yeah, yeah he made a bet in elementary school that he could make it into the NFL, but he didn't <laughs> actually want to, but he wanted to win the bet. You're right. It was big money on the bet. It was, it was, mm-hmm. there, was there was a lot right on that bet, so... Uh, but uh, thank you for the updates, Zen Lunatic. And uh, we'll look a little bit more offline in that Frizz Jackson and uh, get a little bit better feel. But that's uh, Pittsburgh does a good job with the receivers. They know how to train that position. It's like edge rushers. And Pittsburgh knows how to train edge rushers. They just, it's a conveyor belt of line that comes through there through years. Oh, yeah. Uh, Noel, hypothesis with another $5 don't know. Thank you, Noel, for that donation. He says, if we have the option to draft Zerzon Newton, even with a slight trade down, would you still opt to keep Wilson Williams? Well, you're going to have to make the decision on Williams before the draft, a well before the draft. So you don't have the luxury of knowing if you're going to get Jerzon before you sign Leonard Williams. So it doesn't really work like this. Um, in theory, 
I mean, that's significant money saved. And you are getting a player who I do think fairly highly of in Jerzon Newton. So I guess, but that that's not a realistic scenario, right? You're going to have no idea if Newton's going to be there at 16 when you make the call on Leonard. You don't. Um, I mean, there's it's it's just hard to predict right now. It'll get it'll get it'll get closer in another month, I guess, once we have the combine go down, and there'll be a little bit more clarity at that point. But um, you, like Brendan said, no, you'll have to make this call beforehand rather than reverse it a little bit, like you're advocating for potentially trying to do. Um, if I was to look at this and kind of bottom line this, I, I see Leonard Williams as an eight point nine player. I see Newton's upside as sort of an eight point three, right? Mm-hmm. Leonard Williams on the upside of a B. Newton and then kind of the B B minus grade is where he'll be as a player to me. So do is that enough worthwhile to me to not sign Williams and to hunker down in on Zerzon Newton? Not really enough for me to do that myself. I, yeah. I think that Williams gives you that. That's why the second round pick came into play with Williams. That's why you had to do what you did because they're hard to find these talent of defensive tackles. And I'm not saying Williams is a remember it's 8.9, right, Brendan? So I'm not saying like I'd have Aaron Donald at like a nine, seven, you know, non, you know, or whatever. Right. So I, there's plenty of guys that have a well above Leonard. It's just that these are hard to find guys that are this good. And you can find a lot of guys in the B minus range. If you want to try yeah. to look down there, I think. Yeah. You seem a little lower on Newton than a lot of people have been lately. A lot of people are starting to really get hyped on Newton because I think because he's the only really good defensive lineman <laughs> in this draft more than anything. Bingo. That's that. That's what I've and I've done a bunch of back and forth on him. I liked him initially, then it kind of soured, got a little back. The latest film I've gone back and watched from this past year is it flashes. It's there, but it's it's not enough for me to go. This is I got to jump on this. This is something that I got to. I feel like, and especially this draft, Brandon, too, because there's a lot of those kind of B minus three techs in this draft. The majority of those second round graded defensive tackles. Uh, let's just go through it. Um, Defondre Sweat might be a first, but I, second round doorless. Tyler Davis, Leonard Taylor, Dwan, Dwayne Carter, Michael Hall Jr., Chris Jenkins, Braden Fisk. All of these guys are around the second to third round range, and all of those guys are three techs. So it's like Zerzon's got to be a real good three tech for me above those other options to go and grab him then at 16, and I just don't think he um, has that caliber of play in him necessarily. I can see the flashes, but I just don't think it's that degree. Right. I, I, I can I can definitely see that. Makes sense to me. He's a good player, though, No, Don't get me wrong. And I still do have him, I think, as number one DT on my board. But just... He almost has to be. I mean... Yeah. It's it's just it's not a great draft for the upper-end defensive tackles. And both Cancy and Carter were better last year as prospects. Um, thank you, Snail, for the $2 donation. Hawks need to target Max Borgie to replace Dallas. DJ Dallas, yeah. that is. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of like Borgie a couple of years ago. I remember him. Um, he was fun. Poor man's yeah. Christian McCaffrey. He's like Christian McCaffrey. If Christian McCaffrey broke both of his legs, but was almost healed from it. And like, he was still wearing the braces. <laughs> he's, he's like Christian McCaffrey. If Christian McCaffrey was a dive bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christian McCaffrey. If he was wearing the Forrest Gump leg braces. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, but the not the new kind of cups, the old kind of cups that took over your whole <laughs> Johnson area and you couldn't yeah. run with them. Yeah. Uh, I uh um he's in the XFL. I th- he was in the XFL. I don't know where he is now, but uh he, he's still out there, still moving his arms and legs in the general way in which football players do. 
Yep. And we'll probably learn a little bit about what the team thinks about McIntosh a bit on this and how much, if they show any aggression to targeting a running back, I would think ideally from this Brendan, their standpoint would be to find a guy more in the undrafted. You know, you find the best undrafted rookie for agent. And you're like, look, you're going to have the guaranteed spot here as the, as the four. Um, whereas those guys don't usually have very many guarantees as undrafted rookie for agents and then put the rest of your draft to other areas or take a guy like seventh roundish area, but uh, yeah. not to put a lot of assets into thereof because yeah. you're three stack deep, but we do need to Frank get another one. Gore Jr. Frank Gore Jr. I'm with it. Do yeah. you go in? or my, my the, uh, I like to get out of Ohio state too, as a later round guy, the uh, uh, Mayan Williams, is that what it is? Or Sanders? I, I get these guys confused. It's the yeah. kid, the backup at Ohio state. He's got a little bit of Frank Gore to him too, his game a little bit. He'd be fun. Yeah, the uh, McCaffrey kid in this year's draft, is he a receiver or a running back? He's a receiver. Oh, okay. he's built, yeah, and he's built a little more. He's built like the elder McCaffrey, whereas yeah. the younger McCaffrey doesn't have anywhere near the same builder gait of his father, you know? Okay. Uh, upright, right. yeah, upright running style. Right. He's a good player, though. Yeah. Uh, thank you, though, Snail, for the donation and uh, showing your uh, cougar love subtly in the chat. I love that. Always doing that. Um Appreciate everybody on the donos, by the way, as well. Thank you so much for all those. Let's, uh, I guess we're an hour and let's get to, to the main uh, course meal here of the show here today, which is looking at the uh, internal free agents here and who we should hire. What do we got to preface on this, Brendan, and setting the stage for the internal free agents though? All right. So I have here a list of all upcoming Seahawks free agents, right? Mm -hmm. So these are guys who are going to be free to leave. Well, there are a few exceptions. We've got a few restricted here, a few exclusive rights free agents, but we have a list here of everybody who could be available in the off season. If the team does not do something, they have to sign them. They have to tag them. They have to tender them. They have to do something or else they're going to go basically mm -hmm. is the idea. Now, Last week's show, we already talked about the players that we would let go or restructure or extend to create this cap space. Because right now we don't have any. Right now we've got negative cap space, but easy, easy to take care of. No problem. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. right. Mm -hmm. So what I was thinking we would do in this show was we would take turns going back and forth on these players. Uh, I'll name the player. I have the list here sorted by value of their last contract. Um, one player, I'll go first, offer my prediction of what kind of contract it's going to take to get them. And then I'll say whether or not I would do that. And then mm -hmm. you say how, what you think it's going to be, whether or not you would do it. And then maybe we can talk about it for a minute. And then the next player you would go first. And then I would offer up my prediction. And then we go back and forth on that one. Sounds good. Just take turns. That way one person can't completely steer the conversation. Right. I feel you. No, that's a, that works for me. Because when you hear what one guy has to say, it can't help but get into your mind a little bit and kind of impact what you might want to say. It's, sure. It's a thing that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do they call that? Social engineering? Uh, yeah. Or there's the the one other term. Uh, I don't know. There's a fancy <laughs> term for it. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, you cool if I lead? Yeah. Fire away. All right. So this first guy here is the big one. This is the big ticket item for this offseason. It is Leonard Williams, big cat. The uh, guy we traded for last year, it's going to be really hard to not bring him back. If we don't bring him back, that hurts. Oh, it uh, it, it would be you lose the second round pick that you gave up for nothing, basically, at that point. Or you're hoping you're getting some compensatory, which then means you're limited in free agency to go out there and sign tier one free agents, which right. isn't good either. Mm -hmm. So 
because of that, he has us over a little bit of a barrel. He does. Let's just be real here. Sure. Also, I think you've said we cannot tag him, right? It'd be his third time being tagged. So it goes 20% on top of the tag rate. Right. So tagging him would be hard. Not impossible. You could kind of loom it over him, but uh, it would be really uncomfortable to actually do it. So yeah. my prediction is three years. I don't think he's getting four because he's 30 now. He's getting older. He's getting up there. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's getting no four-year deal. I say three years. The money I landed on after really thinking about it and looking at some of these other contracts, I went with 50. Five zero. That's a little bit less than what Draymond got last year, which makes sense because he's much older than Draymond was, but he's also a better player than Draymond by a pretty wide margin. Um, that that comes out to about just shy of seventeen million a year. I think that kind of um, factors in the fact that we don't really have much leverage over him because we can't tag him and we traded for him. I do think he'll be able to ask for a little bit more. But I do think you're looking at three years, 50 million, and I would be willing to do that. I'm willing to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, we got to be careful when the money we spend here off the rip, being that even with the money we cleared last week, um, some of this is also being informed by, by the what you and my intentions will be when it comes to free agency and how active we're going to want to be for that. I know that's a show for another time, but that's definitely impacting some of the outlook here as well. Um, I had the contract at a little lower rate, but let's not get caught up in that well too much. I think if it's between where I have it at, at more of like 44, 45 million on a three-year deal to where you have it at 50, it's, it's really kind of what's the difference at the end of the day. Um, I do think that you have to do this deal, not have to do this deal, but I would highly recommend doing this deal. Studying the defensive tackles in recent years, Brendan, there's there's uh, there's a good collection of good ones in the league. There actually is, but they are held on to and they are cherished like the first child, you know, like mm -hmm. the first child in royalty, you know, like the first male child in royalty. They are cherished like that on these teams. They get signed, they get made the extensions, they get signed early on after three years, they get all the money in the world, team after team after team after team. So if we don't go this route, you're not finding as talented a three-tech in this particular draft, and you don't really have much of a hope in the future of locating that guy necessarily in future drafts because they're so hard to get your hands on. So yeah, I'm rolling with this one. It's a, an easy peasy one, and um, I have no issues in doing it. It's money well spent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If the negotiations get difficult and he pushes up to like 55, that's when I would start to go. I, I don't think I can do this. Uh, uh, you know, 60, I'm going to have to be like, no, sorry. It yeah. Sucks, I'm not doing but... 20. A, I'm not doing 20 a year. I'm even struggling to get to the spot you're at, at that high ground you were at. So if you yeah. go even beyond them, I, I, I've got to go, there is a no go territory here. It's got to make, yeah. this has got to make some sense, but, um, you, to your point as well, he may have that on the open market. That there's a couple, there's a couple teams. I think got eighty million dollars in cap space. A few others got seventy and sixty million, and so you know there might be the money out there for those teams to compete in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully Chris Jones is out there to distract everybody. Yeah, Nobody exactly. Notices, uh, Leonard. They're all just chomping at the bit for him, so Leonard just becomes the guy you know ignored, yeah. or Wilkins for that matter. If he oh, gets, yeah, a, he'll probably get franchised. Yeah, it's like the. Uh, the uh, media day before the playoff game with the Texas Longhorns where all the media guys are gathered around Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers mm -hmm. is just sitting over there and there's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, he's just sad face. You know. <laughs> One little child comes up. He's like, oh. like do you got any candy? <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, poor Quinn. Uh -huh. That's why I went back to school to stick at the Arch. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, you think you're starting next year? No, you're not. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and, you Suck know, it, Manning. 
Eagles will probably be a first round pick next year. The QB class next year is kind of crappy. Could be. Definitely has a good chance. And Sark's going to put him into some good positions to let him let him let it rip. So, mm-hmm. possible. All right. So Leonard Williams, three years, fifteen to seventeen million a year. We're both pretty on board in that area. We're both going to live with it. And we know that last year is probably going to be kind of brutal, but that's the cost you pay when you have these good players. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. I, I, it will, it will be a bit expensive, but I do think you should try to lower down the first year cap it as far as you can, because then they're going to have to, I think, in certain mm-hmm. realms. But um, this is again, I think, money they'll be okay spending. Let's also understand too with the defensive tackle position, it tends to be one where we have a track record of guys still playing at a very good level. I mean, hell, Al Woods was thirty five and our best lineman one year down there, and, and so these guys can play into their th- early 30s and still play at a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next guy, uh, you can take the lead on this one. Our second highest paid player that's an outgoing free agent from 2023, Bobby Wagner. Bobby mm-hmm. Wagner. And this one's weird. I know this one's weird because this guy's made over $100 million in his career. So his priorities might be a little bit different. But but how do you see this one playing out? Well, I think that you got to give him, um, it, I, there's, I think he made like 7 million last year, six, 7 million, um, one year deal. I think this is a one year deal at a time. I, I would like to get it into like a two year, $16 million deal and lower down the first year hit if I could. Um, not even with the intention that we got to necessarily have him come back next year, but just that you can get the first year. One thing that stands out to me in this, Brendan, especially with this first deal that we've done, like, let's say with, with Leonard, you know, that chops off about 10 million off that 42 million off the rip. And then you've got 9 million that's due, at least by sports tracks nature is supposed to then go to the draft. So now there goes 19 million off the 42. Then you've got 6 million that got to go to the reserve. So now we're 25 off the 42. And so you're going to have to get creative in some of these deals to fix anything, fit anything else in as we go through on this a little bit, because there just isn't as much money as it might look on the surface with that 40 million. But I'd go a one year, $8 million deal or a two year, 16, and then move the money around a little bit if I could. Um, I, I think you've got to address both linebacker positions as it is right now. Um, I think that he is a really great bang for buck option. Uh, would you maybe like to get a little more athletic, faster linebacker in there? Maybe long term, yeah. But he also gives you the insurance, Brendan, where you're not driven to have to reach for need in the draft and grabbing two middle linebackers or a Mike and a Will, um, rather giving you the opportunity to really, um, you know, at least have one of those positions solidified so that you just feel more comfortable in staying in a value-based standpoint going into the draft. And the free agents on the market for the middle linebacker position, um, we that'll be again for another show we talk about. But I just don't think you're going to have the money, as I'm talking about, with to get the guys like Queen fit in. And so we come back to getting some bank for the buck, getting some steady, getting the veteran leadership and his presence and his understanding. It can't hurt in implementing this scheme across the board as well as far as just in the background part of this process. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I have a little bit of a bold prediction here with Wagner. I don't think the money is a big thing for him anymore. And I think that's why he took the deal that he took with us last year in the first place. Because mm-hmm. that deal was five and a half with incentives. Yeah. And that was coming off a year he played in L.A. where he played really good. He he, he had a great season. He I think he made all pro second team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He was solid. So I don't think the money is a big thing. I think he just wants to play a place that he wants to play. And maybe now that we've completely blown up our coaching staff, he doesn't even want to be here that much. I don't know. I got no idea. Who knows what's running through his mind. But I think that financially, if you tried to bring him back and he's on board, you could probably do like one year, 5 million with some incentives. And I think he'd be okay with that. I don't, I don't get the sense that money's a thing, a big thing to him anymore. He's made his money, hundred million dollars in NFL salary. 
I think he'd be okay doing that. And I, I'd be willing to do that for sure because we have such a hole at that spot. Now, it would not shock me if McDonald says, I can't use a guy that slow in my defense. I want to turn the page. And, you know, I can I can completely understand that. I empathize completely. But hard for me to believe you can't find a way to make Bobby be an, an impactful, positive part of your defense if you're a good defensive coach in this league. That's right, because there's still some things he does very well. And it's just about leaning in those things. You mentioned the Rams. One reason they got the year out of him is they used him in such a different approach to the way that we used Bobby last year. And that's a, a big part of getting, you know, the best out of Bobby at this point in time in his career. So I, I think McDonald would better seek to emulate that. That's what he's talked about being at the root of his philosophy is maximizing what the player does well rather than fit to, I need you to play single high safety as a middle linebacker. You know, like, okay, you know, it's, he's not, he asked, he had Roquan play that at times last year, Brendan, you know, Roquan would drop back to the center field of safeties. Like, but that's not necessarily something that he's going to have to have done with his scheme. It's going to be able to be molded around the players. And uh, yeah, I just, you have the need here. This, this fits up on a lot of different points for me. And uh, he's like having the coach on the field in a lot of ways. I just think Bobby brings a lot of value beyond just also being a real productive player for the bang for buck factor. I mean, I I'm seeing now Queen's going to be up projected at 18 and a half million per year. Oh yeah, and you're getting Bobby on a one-year five and a half to seven million, eight million dollar deal. It's like, dude, that's I, I don't know. That's Bobby's not half the player of Patrick Queen. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And look, if we had a little bit more going on at the position, I would probably say no. But in this circumstance, I don't think you can completely turn over the middle linebacker room in one offseason. You got to have something from last year. So I prefer it to be this. Me too. Mm -hmm. Me as well. All right, so next up, we're going to do uh, next guy here for me would be Drew Locke. Drew Locke. Mm -hmm. So I'll lead off on this one. And this one, there needs to be a little bit of nuance here because there's two scenarios. You bring him back as a backup or you bring him back as a nominal starter. Now, that scenario is a lot less likely because as of uh, four hours from now, Geno Smith's contract becomes basically fully guaranteed. Could still trade him. But I think it's unlikely. I think Gino's going to be your quarterback in 2024. I, that's very likely to be the case. And if you bring back Drew Locke, although I will say this, a lot of nice things said about Drew Locke by this new coaching staff so far, you notice? They, they seem to be indicating that they're going to bring him back. I, I'm, I'm a little bit wondering how you're going to pull this off if you're Schneider and his perspective on this, given the cap situation where it is at. Because the same where it was at last year and Gino's cap hits gone from 10 to 31. You know, you could fit Drew's cop, but he's going to cost $5 million. How How do you fit that into this cap? I don't know. Right. So what I wrote down was if Drew Locke comes back as a backup, I said one year $6 million because last year he got $4 million and then he actually played. So he's going to want more, a little mm -hmm. bit more. Maybe it would be like $5 million, like you said, but I said one year six. And then I said, if you bring him in as the starter, like you do do the Geno trade, he'd want more. He'd or maybe he'd want incentives that he would obviously meet, like Gino did that first year. Sure. So in that case, I said one year, ten million, and you'd have mm -hmm. to assume he'd hit the incentives. They're probably easy incentives. And in both cases, I'm kind of a no. I just feel like I can spend ten percent of that on a rookie quarterback and not feel that different about things. Uh, I I feel the same way about it, and um, so I'm I'm likewise in the state of mind with this where I just say I, I'm I'm just a no here on my standpoint with this um I I I don't 
want to spend the five million for him as a backup quite frankly i'd rather go get a good legitimate player out there at that position and i think that that's just too high of a cost to have to pay so um i'm a no i'm i'm out on the on doing that i even if you move gino i don't want to move i don't know even if you move gino i don't know if i'd be in on it really to be honest with you because i just think at that point you're moving gino why not just take it all down the foundations at that point i'd have i, I know there's some seahawk fans advocating for that I'm okay for doing that if we want to do it, but then go whole hog in that direction. Don't partial it that if you're going to do that and bring it back in drew on that would not be a, a full move on that to me. Cause then you're just tapping the cap out and you're, you're not really trying to compete anyway. And what's the point of that? You know, especially if the look is to try to turn towards like a number one, two, three overall picks, so you can get your quarterback next year. Right. I mean that, that Eagles game last year bothers me, which I know is a weird thing to say because we won that game, but the training wheels on, on drew lock in that game were, were next level. Like, we mm. were afraid to let him do anything. Like, I can get, you know, I could get some quarterback in the seventh round this year and have a quarterback that I have no trust in on my roster for 10% of the price of Drew Locke. So if you don't trust him, why are you giving him $6 million? I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not feeling it. I, I, I understand that Drew Locke has way more talent mm -hmm. than some of these quarterbacks you can get in the sixth round, the seventh round UDFA. But it doesn't matter if you're just going to protect him like that every time he gets to go out there. Yeah. I mean, to your point, if I'm paying that kind of price, I should be getting upper level backup per, per production, right? Like you come in, I can run my offense fully whole hog. You're not expected to play as good as the starter, but I'm not, like you say, putting training wheels on the offense like I would have to tend to do with a typical backup quarterback. And the fact that they did that through that game, four and a half yards mm -hmm. per average attempt mm -hmm. through most of that game, um, just speaks to, I think a little bit of that like, and I, and the trust adds up, right? Cause every other time we've had him out on the football field, the turnovers come back into play when they don't have the training wheels on him. And that's, again, we come back to just not worth to me, the, the, the expenditure to make that price. If I was getting up for level play at backup, I'd do it, but it just yeah. didn't give you that. Yeah. Go get Jacoby Brissett. That guy's actually pretty good. And it's not going to be that much more. I don't think. No, it wouldn't. And I, I'm with you. If I, it's a vet, vet minimum backup at $2 million, or I'm going to pay $5 million upwards with the incentives to 10 It's like, well, I, I know. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah, or just go get Holton Allers back and pray Gino never gets hurt, like for, 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 for even cheaper than $2 million. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that's there. There's a variety of ways you can do, and there's tends to be you can get a, a quality backup without to me having to pay $10 million for it. I don't, I know they can kind of sometimes cost a lot the Chase Daniels types, but just. There's, there's guys you can find out there that can make it work at a lower cost. All right. So we're both in no on Drew Locke, whatever the price point is. If we're if if we're wrong about the price point and he would actually come back for like $2 million, that's different. I would do sure. that. But yeah. I don't think I'm wrong. I think he's going to want more than he got last year. Agreed. I think he's going to want more. And I just think it gets to a point of a pot. It's like the Williams thing. It gets to a cost where it's like, eh, that's a little too much. And mm -hmm. I can't understand enough when running through the numbers. I'm sure you saw the same thing. Things get really tight here really fast as far as the numbers go on, on the cap space. It's we are in the I think we're like 28th right now going into this offseason or something like that. So it's we've got to maximize this cap. We can't just go, let's just blow half five million on the back of quarterback. We've got the room to do that. Like, no, you don't really, not really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh okay. Next up, you're gonna lead with this one. It is Noah Fant. Noah Fant. Noah Fant, productive receiver throughout every year of his career in this league. Former top 17 first-round pick. He's been always up around four or 500 yards every year of his career. I think this year he's a little bit short. When they did seem to target him, he was there able to make big plays. He had some yak moments this year 
where he was able to you know stretch the field after the catch and and really provide a boon for you there. Um, feels like the team never really quite understood how to best really utilize him, but then again, it never really felt like the Broncos really best utilized, knew how to utilize him. Because of that production in his baseline, Brendan, I'm estimating that he's going to get somewhere between 10 to 12 million per year, maybe on like a three-year deal, maybe a four-year deal. Uh, I don't think that he is a particularly good blocker. I think that he's had times where he's held up decently in that realm, but I think he's been, for lack of a better word, he's been your typical H-block, poor blocker that you see from that position when it's not an inline guy. And so to pay 10 to 12 million a year when my cap is so stretched thin as it is, Brendan, I can't see why there would be any feasible reason to to make this deal. I wouldn't even do it if you were releasing off Disley in order to accommodate this contract. I would rather have Disley. In my opinion, he's a better overall, more complete player. And from the tight end position this time and day and age, I need a complete skill set. I, I don't need just the pass catcher. I need the guy that can do all of the other stuff too. Yeah, we're probably going to heavy 11 personnel this season. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, so what do you think he gets on the open market, Fant? 10 to 12 million on a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put three years, 39. So that's 13 mil a year. If you look at what these other tight ends are getting, I think that's actually very reasonable. I don't think teams are going to hold the last two years against him because we used three different tight ends and he was behind really good receivers. Like uh, I don't... 100%. Yeah, I don't think teams are going to look at him and say, oh, this is just some guy. No, they're going to look at the talent. They're going to look at how fast he is. They're going to look at the athleticism. And they're going to say, yeah, 13 mil a year, let's go. And I, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. No, I can't either. And I think you're uh, you're right. I mean, as a team like Chicago, who's going to look to add playmakers there for if it's Fields or Caleb, you know, it's like Waldron there, like, oh, good fan. We'll bring him in. We can use him. And I'll, I know how to use him here better because we'll actually target him in the middle of the field. So it just becomes the cost too high. And if you had more cap space, maybe you can consider it. But uh, quite honestly, it just, when it gets to that price of certain guys, just not quite worth it at the price on a rookie deal versus being paid. It's, it's like two different places on sometimes these guys with where you stand on it. It wouldn't shock me if Fant went somewhere and was worth it. Like uh, Evan Ingram was like Evan Ingram was not very good in New York, looked awful. Then he goes to Jacksonville, kills it. And then they give him 13 mil a year. And you're like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Evan Ingram, 13 mil a year. Sure. Yeah, no, I definitely could see him going to the right kind of offense and finding finding success. And he's been a very consistent player as far as Patrick catcher goes throughout the course of his year. So he's got that to lean on. And hell, I mean, I, I was like, I'm we're seeing Parkinson projected at six and a half. Like, you know, you can just kind of easily understand how well you get to fan at twelve. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, next guy I've got here will be Mister Phil Haynes. Phil Haynes, kind of a forgotten one here, but. Um, I I look at Phil Haynes and I see a player who is going to probably just get one-year deals every year for the rest of his career until he, his body breaks down. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it's going to be something like that. Um, and I don't think he's a vet min player yet. I think his play is better than some of the guys that are kind of just living off those veteran minimum deals every year. Uh, not by much. And the injuries are also a problem. He gets hurt pretty much every year. Like he just mm-hmm. can't stay healthy. But I think that if we signed Phil Haynes as a backup, it would be like one year, 3 million. And mm-hmm. if you sign him to start, it would be like one year, 5 million. And either way, I, I'm a no. I'm just trying to move on from this interior offensive line that we got, refresh it and uh, go forward with the guys on rookie deals and just, I, I just want to do something different in there. It's not working. 
Yeah, the the thing that stands out to me with Grubb, and I think that it's very important with the move, the mobility of the offensive linemen, is you got to be able to move. And one every seven, eight plays, they ran a screenplay, did Washington. And the screenplays, doesn't matter whether it's bubble, doesn't matter whether it's a traditional screenplay, more often than not, you're going to need your guards or one of your guards to get out there in space and get to that block. And Damian just has proven over and over again that he can't get to those blocks. It's not his fault that's the player he was coming out. He's a Mauler right guard type. That's his player type. And he's he's actually decent in that role. Um, I think what's best for him, if I was him, is to go to a team that put him at right guard for a year, let him reestablish his value, and then get back on the open market next year from the position that he should be playing. But I don't want him in here at this point just because of the fact that we have to go so hard-lined to the athletic lineman. just doesn't add up as to why it would make sense, even on a right. short-term deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're both kind of a no there. I think we're going to be a no on most of these interior offensive linemen. Just, you know, let's, let's do things differently. Let's yeah. uh, refresh it. And I, I know it's not fun to replace three offensive linemen in one off season. And look, maybe we are in a position where we can just say, okay, Bradford, you're, you're up. The right guard, guard spot is yours, but you can turn over two positions on an offensive line. I think you can do that in one off season and it's not going to completely nuke everything. We did it two years ago. Yeah. At, so, at, at tackle, which is harder. Right. It had never been done in NFL history prior to that point. And we did it with the two rookies starting at tackle in one year. So I, it's, that was one season ago, not long ago. Um, to me, it's about talent when I come to the, to the line, Brendan. And it's about, we've been trying to get by with less for so long that that's where we've lost our process. And when it comes to the offensive line, it ain't the offensive line coach, it ain't the scheme in the system. It's the invest the assets into the offensive line and you will get the returns therein from it. And if they take that approach, then you will get it. If those two guys that they add, Brennan, like we did like we did two years ago, right? We did a top 10 pick and a third rounder. If you put the value assets into it and get guys that fit your scheme, you'll get good players. Line, line is actually a, an easier one to target in the draft. It's just the teams, of course, tend to just overlook it and go, ah, doesn't, not that important. You know? All right. So this next one is yours. And this is going to be another pretty big one. There's going to be some money here. I just don't know who it's going to be with. It's Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks. Um, well, let me let's let me just make sure. I want to say we're caught up on these donos. Let me get oh, the donor okay. real quick here. Uh, Nolan, thank you for the five dollar donation. He says way too early to call. I see plenty of pundits mocking the Oregon center to the Hawks. Would they move positions on the line, or Olu stays a backup? Um, if you got JPJ, Olu would be a backup, and there's nothing wrong with Olu being a backup. He was a fifth round pick. It's it's not that big of a deal. How about JPJ being moved to left guard? Can he do that? He can do mm -hmm. that. I mean, if he can do it, uh, I I mean, if he can do it, great. It feels like we get burned all the time on this, right? We move <laughs> offensive linemen around. Mm -hmm. I'm with, I'm, and I don't have a certain answer, so I wasn't. It, it, I I'm not sure either of what I would do with that on that. Um, but I think he can play. He can be a better than Posick. Let me put it that way. He's not Posick at left guard. He'd be like. Offering maybe a league average play at left guard if you put him over there with his upside. Man, I don't want to spend the 16th pick on a guy who's going to be league average. <laughs> yes. I don't know. <laughs> well, long term, like, you're popping him to center, I think. Long term, you're thinking he's yeah. going to be eventually the center. But, um, yeah. you know, Eagles have had some luck with this lately, Brandon. They did Landon Dickerson to left guard, and they did Jurgens to right guard. Um, while, while, while Kelsey's been there. So there has been some teams that have found success with it. It should be easier to play guard than center. You have less to think about. You don't have to worry about throwing the ball through your legs. 
it's all really mostly when it comes to those guys, Brennan, do they, they don't typically have this, the size of the strength to go to guard from center. You know, they have to be help defenders. And that's the thing that Jackson's got in spades is strength and power where, yeah. you know, he can bring that, I think, to the, to the left guard. So I think that's what they would be thinking, Nolan, if they took it, it would certainly be potentially fluid as a situation, but I would, I would estimate it would be with the thought process. He goes to guard and they'd like, maybe like his upside more than me, right? Where I've got him, where they say, no, he could be a above average league guard out there if you put him to there. That might be their evaluation on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm open to it, but um, I'm I'm not. I, I like Oluwatimi. If he's the starting center next year, I understand, but I'm not married to that idea either. Like this is not a first round pick we spent on him. No, it's not. I, that's my thinking. And the theory of my on this too, Brent, is number one: depth is a big important part of the modern NFL game on the line in every position. But then number two having the competition there's not the worst thing. And if you've got a bit of a stack of talent and a guy's waiting to get his chance and you know you have him sitting on the sidelines, it's, it's, it is not the worst possibility and outcome to have that kind of depth. So um, I, I, I like Jackson. I do say this about taking him at 16. I think you can trade back and get him later. There's not a requirement to sit there at 16. I'm not buying that he would go at like 18 or 19, just not in this draft, not with the players that will picked up ahead of him with probably going to be five quarterbacks selected up in that top 20 range. Um, I, I think that he will dip to the 25 and you can move back to get him if you wanted to at that point. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We got plenty of time for things to settle on these big boards. Yeah. Amen. But uh, thank you, Nolan. I appreciate you on that. Uh, big Patty daddy in the house with a $2 donation says, did I go too far on the KJ all day podcast? Uh, not if you had fun, big Patty daddy. What happened? So I didn't get the chance to see Big Patty. What happened? I was I was out of the loop mm-hmm. on that one. I'll have to check. Yeah, it out. I, I didn't see the whole thing either. But KJ uh, seemed a little unamused by it. I guess. I what was it, what was that happened? I don't know. Uh, he just kind of you know was being really colorful and over the top. And I think KJ was like a little oh, like you know he can get a little serious on that show sometimes. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to check it out. Big Patty. Was it on the recent episode? What was the, is the KJ episode? Um, I think it was like three, four days ago. Okay. I'll check it out. Big Patty. See, see how, see how it went, man. Sorry. I didn't have a chance to, I've been head down, mm-hmm. just kind of grinding a bit. So I haven't had a chance to check it out, but uh, no, man, it's all good. This is, this is the YouTube. This is fun. You can never yeah. be too, too much, go too far on YouTube, you know, unless you're going buck naked or something. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. So no way to go wrong, but thank you, uh, Big Patty. I'll check it out, man. I'll go look at that. I want to see see how that went. <laughs> did it get awkward? Was it? Did it get awkward? Uh, a little bit, I would say. I I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> get him, Big Patty. Um, was it like a donation or was he on the show? Uh, he was. Uh, they they did this like we're doing the screen share thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I gotta check it yeah. out then. Um, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Garth says, can January 10th officially be Burt cold appreciation day? He was the Winston wolf behind Pete's removal. By the way, I do appreciate what Pete accomplished here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, Burt, Burt, yeah. the, uh, the, the, the quiet assassin in the background, right? Brendan. Yeah. Uh, that's a reasonable assumption to make. I think that's a reasonable thing to think about the way this whole thing played out. Um, I, uh, January 10th be Burt Cold Appreciation Day. I mean, uh, I mean, we don't even have a Paul Allen Appreciation Day for the day he bought the Seahawks. We we got some work to do there before we get to that, though. 
Maybe eventually, Garth. Maybe eventually we get it. We got it. I agree with Brendan. We got to get the the Paul Allen. Then you got to get the statues up front. Then you get around to the Burko. But I'll say this: like Bert did what is his job there to be, and that is that it's not on Jody Allen's shoulders solely to evaluate this big major decision that was made and have to. You, it's on you. What do you want to do? Yeah, the final decision lies with her, but she's informed by this collective committee that's as much, you know, her knights of the round table, so to speak. And providing her that value back and, and that support. And uh, I think he served in that role for her in this spot and uh, helped her in this decision. And it's one of the reasons it was the right one is that you included a lot of people into this to to make this choice. This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction from an owner who's upset or, or, or pissy with the coach. This is a, a tactical decision in the way they made it, I believe. And uh, Bert Sen is at the center of that, to your point, mm -hmm. Garth. Right. Thank you, man. I uh, appreciate the donation and uh, well said, man. Winston Wolf. I like the Pulp Fiction reference. <laughs> uh, you got a body in the back minus a car on the head. I forget how the speech goes. Take me to it. <laughs> You've used that movie, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many yeah. times. Classic, classic film. Uh, Jordan Brooks. Um, Jordan Brooks is going to probably get somewhere between 10 and $12 million, a little bit like the fan contract, maybe even upwards of four years because he is still a young player just going into his prime. Uh, you look at the Tremaine Edmonds deal and the Jermaine Pratt deal from last year. These guys were not star players at the position, but got paid very highly. Uh, Brooks has been a guy that's been steady Eddie as far as staying on the field throughout his time here, Brendan, but he's been a guy that's been beat on in coverage quite a bit. And despite the fact he's missed a good amount of games, still well over 2,000 yards given up in coverage. And it's not just a matter of being a liability. It's a matter of being one of the worst coverage linebackers in the sport. And I think that to pay that kind of money when you're getting that when I don't really think on the run defense and on the tackling that it's some defining trait from him beyond other people in the league to override those limitations and deficiencies. So this is a decision for me that's a fairly easy one where I go, I just have to, I, I, I got to let him go out and, and test that market and get that contract and call it a day on that. And that's just sort of the name of the game on this kind of stuff. Yeah, so I think he will get four years, like you said, because he is young. He's still mm. really young for a guy who's been in the league. It feels like he's been in the league forever. Yeah, it does. He's still young. I think four years, I said 52 million. I, I mm. think it's going to be out there for him. He's a great athlete. He's got NFL size. Somebody out there, like like D'Amico in Houston, might be like, yeah, give me that. I want that. 13 mm. million a year, let's go. Yeah. Man, that's um, expensive. Yeah, it is. As for whether or not I'd be willing to do it, as it hopefully not. I will say this. If you can't bring back Bobby, if Bobby just decides he doesn't want to come back because he wanted to play with Pete or whatever, um, it, it's going to be really hard to say goodbye to both of your starting linebackers. And, like, uh, what do you do at that point? If you're not getting Patrick Queen, are you just going to get two rookies for 2024? Like, it, it sucks, right? It does. I mean, I would say maybe like this, um, if you've got to make the choice between, let's say, uh, Jordan Brooks at 12 million per year or 14 million per year for Devin White, 14 and a half million per year for Devin White. I, I would probably go with more of a Devin White. Um, it, there's, you know, Levante David's mm. on the open market. I, he's old. He's probably just a titch below Bobby, but he also brings the coverage where he doesn't bring as good the run defense. Bobby brings the run defense, maybe not as good as the coverage. Um, is that an alternative option? You can go for the one year, $7 million deal. You know, I, I think that there's other alternatives. I do say this, Brendan, when we went to a Super Bowl in 2005, we had two rookie linebackers. Mm. You, you went second, third round, Leroy Hill, Lofa Tatupu, rookies, Super Bowl, mm. great players, first year. I think that it's not the worst thing in the world to say maybe we go with two young linebackers in this draft. And I say that also because of the fact 
that the middle linebackers in this draft are particularly strong. And I think that you could grab a couple of starters in this particular one. You could have a Peyton Wilson's T-Rex arms push him down to the third round and have grabbed a guy maybe in the late first, second round range as well. And then you've got a decent stack there ready to roll. Are they going to be young? Are they going to be green? Yeah, sure. But you can address it if that's the worst case scenario if you have to that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a no on Brooks, but I am going to be amenable to it if Bobby doesn't come back. I'm at least going to be open to it. I'm also going to be open to the possibility of McDonald going, I'm going to turn that guy into an all pro just like I did Patrick Queen. Cause Patrick Queen was not good for at first at all. Like mm. he was every bit as lost as Jordan Brooks has looked at sure. times. <laughs> right. It's fair. Definitely fair way of putting it. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely a no on this one from my standpoint and um, I could get where he might get a little bit drawn to do what you say with that being McDonald with Brooks. But I, I think that there's better ways to go with this and spending the money at this point. I think yeah, he's what, such a deficiency in coverage. I just don't think you're fixing that. What uh, price point would it have to be for you to be open to Brooks coming back? Uh, he had a worse season than Bobby Wagner. I'm going to pay Bobby Wagner five and a half million, but Jordan, because he's younger, gets to be paid better. I, I don't I don't see the, the thinking or the logic behind that. And I don't think anybody make that argument. I mean, there's people that make the argument a little bit with the whole like, but they aren't accurately looking at Jordan Brooks' season if they are. And there's no way you can make any argument to me that Jordan was better than Bobby last year. In what way? As a run defender? As a tackler? In coverage? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And no, he wasn't. Uh, so less than Bobby on a, on a one-year prove-it deal. Uh, you know? Yeah, it's not impossible. He is coming out. He did get hurt again in the, in the last game of the year, I guess. But I, I feel like somebody's going to pony up. I just feel like somebody's going to pony yeah. up. That's what it went. You got the $80 million in cap space. It's literally like when you're as a team reaching that point, as far as the cap space money, it's burning the hole in your pocket. You're going to do that thing the Patriots did a couple of years ago where they had that similar money where you're handing out contracts to everybody um, because you got to spend the money. And so th- these kind of guys get signed, I think, in that in that wash a little bit to your point in the way that you're talking about. All right. So that is Jordan Brooks. Uh, you are a firm no. I'm a mm-hmm. no, but I'm a little more open to it than you are. I don't. I think he's a little bit better than you do, but I still have a feeling somebody's going to get to a price point that I, I do not, I'm, I'm not interested in matching. Yeah. Understandable. All right. So next guy uh, I'll lead with the, uh, this is a uh, Damien Lewis. Previously we did Phil Haynes, by the way. I think you got the two mixed up a little bit. At one oh, my point. bad. Okay. Yeah. Same, same outcome for me. <laughs> yeah. Except I think Damien Lewis gets some money. He's had good seasons. Uh, he was good as a rookie at right guard. He was good two years ago at left guard. He's young. He was uh, not a blue chipper, but he was a third round pick. There's clearly talent there. I think the right team would look at him and go, yeah, yeah, we want a piece of that. So I wrote down three years, 22 and a half. So that's seven and a half million a year. I think somebody's going to do it. Would it be mean? No, I, I don't think so. Even if you moved him back to right guard, I, I don't even know if he can still do it anymore. He hasn't played right guard in three years. Maybe he's forgotten. Maybe he, he'd have to like relearn everything. And I don't want to have to deal with that for seven and a half million. Yeah. Uh, both the case, Phil and Damien, just also for me, what regardless of price here, I mean, even bringing them back on vet minimum deals at this point, in my opinion, um, we need mobile linemen. Like it ain't about, well, the guy does some good stuff with it. Can he move? No, that's it. End of story to me on this one at this point. And I'm, I'm going to harp on this because We made the transition two years ago to needing mobile linemen, and then we proceeded to not get mobile linemen outside of the two tackles. Mm -hmm. So don't make the same mistake twice in the, in the couple year span. Don't get comfortable with, well, we know what we're getting with this, 
bring in what fits to what you're trying to operate in your scheme. And there's plenty of guys in this draft that you can do this with. Like the middle linebacker, this is a good draft and to be looking for interior offensive linemen that fit to your scheme and your needs. Uh, do that or go out in the free agency point, Brendan, where there are guys like a, a Robert Hunt with uh, the Miami Dolphins who will get a mid-level great contract, That's a, but he's been in a mobile-based scheme, right? He, he can move in space. He's mm -hmm. bringing a fit to what you want him to do. Uh, so I, I think that that's much of a more better alternative potentially if you're really needing to go that way for certainty, but not not with the, not with Damian Lewis. Um, he should go back to right guard, but like I say, I don't know if even where his fit is it there. I mean, he's he's turned into a weird player at the left guard position, frankly. Yeah, I, I remember, I think it was Andre Dillard with the Eagles when he had to move from right tackle to left tackle for a game. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was talking about it. He's like, you know, it's like writing all your life with your right hand and then having to write with your left hand. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. So I, I I don't know if that's a given. There, There's a price point where it's reasonable. Like if Damian Lewis, if there's no money out there and it's like one year, two million, he's worth that. I'll do that just as a backup. But See, I, 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 I can't be moving I forward. I, I think that's just, it's the problem that we've had inherently here, Brennan, is that these slog-footed linemen can't get out there. Like I said, you're running the screen once every eight plays. So what does that mean? You're going to trot the guy out there when he's on playing on the field where now you can't run screen plays anymore. Like uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Just it, it again becomes a little bit like, well, I know what this guy is and he's a former third round pick and it's, but it's not really having anything to do with the price of the price of business here, which is that these guys have got to move in space. They've got to hit the reach blocks. They've got to get to the second level. They got to get out in the screen game. They got to pull back across the formation. Like you did dub did with all their linemen. Damian Lewis can't do that. You're not going to, he can pull back and get a wham block where he's got to go three spaces to his right and hit the wham block, but he's not going to pull back out in front across the whole rest of the line of scrimmage to get back to the strong side of the play, which is something I've seen Grubb require from his linemen and he's going to require from us. And so I just think you're, you're going to have plays get completely destroyed when you bring those kind of guys on the field. And there's going to be a tendency to get them on the field when you have them under contract as backups. And I think that that just doesn't make sense to me as to why that would, why you'd want to do that versus just go to somebody that's maybe not as been the league as long, but at least fits to what you want to do. So you can run your full scheme. Right. But I, I think somebody out there is going to give him like at least two years, 15 million. It's going to be somewhere Probably. around there. And I, I can't, I can't follow there. So we're both a no on Damien Lewis. I think that's, I, I, there, there's definitely a universe where he gets to just sit at right guard for his whole career and everything's great. Like he probably would have been a really good player at right guard his whole career, but now, now I, I, I don't know what he is. I have no idea what he is. Me as well. Okay. You lead off with this next one here. Our other free agent tight end Colby Parkinson. Uh, this would have been one that I do have a willing and Parkinson came in, of course, fourth round guy. The Seahawks had a high grade on um, who's developed as a blocker, added some really good weight through his time. This past year was, uh, I think, as active as he's been throughout his uh, first few years here as far as a pass catcher goes and had the game winner. I think it was against the Titans on the, the trust ball that Gino threw. Um, so he's been able to build on his skill set since coming out of Stanford. And and he's not a remarkably great player or, or upper level, but he has been pretty solid for you. Uh, the sports track numbers indicate that he's going to get somewhere around six and a half million per year. Uh, that's a bit too pricey for me when it comes to Parkinson. Um, I, I like what he's brought, but that's just a bit higher. I'd be, I'd be willing to do something like a one year three or a two year six and a half. Um, but again, that looks like that's half the rate of what he's due to be making. So that doesn't seem to be very realistic. So I would come back to saying, well, 
I'm, I'm probably going to have to let him go just trust to, to test the open market at that point if that's what he's worth. Yeah, I have uh, – Spotrack actually has a market value estimate for him at four years, 26, I think. Mm. I think they're on the right track, but I don't think it's going to be four. I think it's going to be three. Yeah. I don't know what he's done to deserve a four-year deal. I, I'm not seeing that. So I ended up landing on three years, 20 million. And I mean, it depends on how you're planning on using him, of course, because I do think Disley comes back, but I would be okay with that. If you feel like you can use him better than the previous regime did. If you feel like there's a place for him, Disley probably going to be gone after next year because it is last year of his deal. We're of course losing Fant. There's no way we're going to be able to match that contract that I think he's going to get. I'm open to this one. And um, that, that, takes a lot of the stress off the rest of the offseason if you can at least have the Parkinson Disley tight end room. That way you only need to add one in the draft and it doesn't have to be like some Brock Bowers superstar. It can just be a guy who maybe sits behind guys like uh, Ben Sinnott. It could be a guy like, uh, what's the TCU guy? Jared Wiley. Wiley, yep. Yeah, and that, that would be fine. So partially because of necessity, because we have such a need at the position right now, I would be okay with three for 20 on Colby. I wouldn't hate it. I can see a little bit more on the understanding with the upside that he might offer to your point on not being utilized to his utmost here uh, the first time through. Um, but yeah, I would be, I would just be hesitant with it from the, it's the load balance issue as much as Colby here, where it's just that contract to give out to that guy versus the other ways of how I can use that money in free agency to better help this team. It just there's a better option to me of going a different route than spending that money. It's just he's not to me a six million dollar a year player, and certainly not on a multi year deal at that. Yeah, it, it's tough. I feel like people are going to look at him and see the talent rather than the numbers, right? People are going to be like, "That's a six foot seven guy who can block." Now, by the way, yeah, it's going to be a bit like Fant too. Like you said, there might be a team that sees Fant and they get the most out of him that that. 800, 900,000 yard season potential that may be inside of him because they're like, well, we're going to use him in the right way. We're going to actually feature him. And um, same thing that you could kind of, I think to your point, apply to a lesser degree with Parkinson where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, we can better maximize. He's got this skill set. He's got a big body we can trust down near the red zone. Um, let's 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 try to see if we can lean on that a bit and, and bring that in. I could mm -hmm. see it. It makes sense. Yeah. So we split a little bit there. You're a no. I'm actually kind of a yes, I think. Uh, um, or at the very least, I'm open to it. I, I don't know what Ryan Grubb thinks about tight ends. Like, tight ends were not a big part of the offense at Washington. We had Culp making a catcher to a game and Westover making a catcher to a game. I guess he does run a high number of 12, 12 personnel, though. I will say that looking on the at the at some of the 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 fact of the matters that were in there on on the look of Grubb is he does run yeah. this year of 12 personnel. A lot of that might have been because McMillan was hurt all year, though. Maybe it was necessity. Yeah, yeah, good point. It's possible on that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, next guy we have here is all uh, lead with uh, this one. Not a big one. This is a Devin Bush free agent coming up here. Signed one year, three and a half million last offseason. Didn't do that much. Got on the field a few times. Was kind of unremarkable. Wasn't bad. Wasn't good was just kind of there, did his job, collected his paycheck. Um, not really much to say about this one. He kind of lost his mind a little bit in the last game of the year and left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get more comments about that, about Devin Bush, than I do about anything to do with his play. So that's not good. No, it's not good. Yeah. So that being said, I, I mean, he had a better year with Pittsburgh 
than he did with us, right? And he still only got three and a half million. So I, I think people are kind of getting sick of waiting for this guy to get over the injury. It's been like four years. He's probably mm-hmm. never getting over it now. So just because there is some talent here, I put down one one year, three million. And I was a no. I, I would, especially after what happened to that last game, it seems like he has some issues that maybe he needs to work out. Like, I, I don't know. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, he popped a little bit for me in the preseason where I had some hope that that was going to, you know, become this thing. But then it, it just quickly, just when he's on the field, it just didn't seem like it was happening. And um, you, you've had some pretty bad defensive performances when he was in there at the end of the year. Um, he had one game where he had a lot of tackles, like 18 tackles, but it was a game where you're just getting, you know, gashed. And okay. um, I, I, I just, I'm the same place. I just would rather kind of like to go in a different direction there. Um, I, I just... I think that I have wasn't impressed by him at, uh, as we got into the season. And he had his chance. He had a shot to go in there for Brooks and kind of show what he could do with what he brought. And I just didn't see that come to fruition. All right. Um, this is uh, next up another smaller one. You'll lead with this one. Another one of our outgoing interior offensive linemen. This one is Evan Brown, center. So Evan Brown brought in last year on a one-year $2.1 million deal to be the starter and uh, played basically every game for it, the exception of a couple with Olatimi, I think, or one with Olatimi there. Um, came in and you kind of got what you paid for. You paid $2 million in the open market for free engine center. You're probably going to get below average play at this position, and he was below average play at the position. And in fact, I think he was one of the league worst starting centers in this league when it's all brought down to it. So, you know, you've, you've gone cheap here with Blythe, uh, Austin Blythe the previous year, you went right back to the well again here with uh, Brown um, just goes to again, speak to the previous regimes blind spot when it came to really investing in the quality offensive line in the line. It's what I've been harping on is it's not about having to offload DK Metcalf so you can invest in the offensive line. It's about investing in the damn offensive line. That's what it's about. It's just put the resources into it. Um, so I, yeah, Brown, not his fault. Um, I would not look to bring him back because the mobility thing is not really there with him either. In my opinion, um, he's more of a pass protecting kind of guy and as a center than he is as a run blocker. I just, I, I think I would, uh, prefer on this one to, uh, to go with finding again, more of a pure scheme fit. And that's where I'm at. Do you think he gets anything of significance out there on the open market? Any kind of a, I raise even over what he got from us. No. How bad did our A and B gap runs look this year? You know, anything at the point of attack that we ran all the, they'll turn on the tape and it'll be snap after snap of the hammering, the A and B gap runs right over his tail and him not getting any pen, him not getting any push both in double team situations, but also when he singles up on the one tech and then you'll see a lot of the tape in there where he's allowing the quick, easy penetration. And that's at the damn point of attack. You know, that's right where the play is going. And, and that's to me, he might get a vet minimum deal to come in as a backup, but I don't see any team rewarding him or giving him any even decent deal. Yeah, I think he could probably get what he got with us. Probably just probably. another deal like that where he just gets to stay in the NFL. You yep. get to stay in the NFL for another year. Um, and I would be a no. Just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to uh, bring him back when you're going to be running this Ryan Grubb offense that's going to require a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would rather just roll Oluwatimi out there for 17 games next year than go with Evan Brown. Me too. All right, amen. Okay. Um, so we've got two more and then we've got a bunch of restricted guys and the restricted guys are kind of easy because it's just yes or no. Right. Right. Yeah. 
All right, so um, I'm going to lead with uh, Mario Edwards Jr. I think we signed him at the last second last year. He was very, very late in the game. We picked him up. So we actually got a veteran deferment from the NFL where they cover part of his cap hit. It was like 10% of his cap hit was not applied to our books because they had some kind of like program where like they try to make it a little easier for these veterans to get a job. That's cool. I'm glad the NFL does that because those guys get retired sometimes earlier than they should. Mm -hmm. And um, there isn't a ton to say here because Mario Edwards has been a guy who's been farming those vet men deals for like the last three years. He's just Mm -hmm. always a guy who's just okay. He just hangs around, never any big money out there, but he does his job. He does his job. And I think he played okay last year. I know the numbers weren't huge or anything like that, but I think he did his job. And if we can't put together our defensive line the way we want to this offseason, and we're sitting there in like April and we're like, oh, we're one guy short. We're one guy short. Go call up Mario Edwards and say, hey, uh, vet men, 1.2, 1.3, whatever. Come on in. I'm I'm totally good with that. And I can't imagine him getting much more. I wouldn't have a problem at that point with it. Um, I think he wore down a little bit. I think all those linemen wore down a little bit. He was actually pretty nice early on in the year. Carolina game in particular, he was a monster. Um, monster at like nine pressures, I think, or something like that game. So, um, yeah, if you bring back on a vet minimum, I'm okay with that. Um, but that would be the only way. I, it's uh, It would not be a high priority. And like you say, if it's just you, you almost kind of like get through the draft, get through tree agency, and it's like, well, we still have a little bit of a tiny need over here, then okay. You know, so mm-hmm. be at that point. Yeah, keep them on speed dial. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay, uh, last one. You take this one here. Uh, DJ Dallas becoming a free agent this offseason. DJ Dallas, another fourth rounder, I think, that the team took. Fourth round on him. Um, A guy that, you know, certainly runs very hard when you give him the ball, and he will be tough to bring down in a fight like hell in every run. Doesn't get a lot of carries here. He's always been kind of the fourth guy, third, fourth guy. Found a role as a special teamer, but I think it wasn't particularly as a good special teamer. Fumbles, good as a okay as a kick returner, putt returner, completely lost in the woods. Um, I I don't I think DJ Dallas is going to have a hard time finding any contract out there to remain in the league as a running back. Running back's a very competitive place in the NFL as it is already, and I think right now, um, I, I I mean maybe if Homer can get a deal, I guess he can get a deal. But he hasn't been a good special teams guy, so even after in that value is not there necessarily, like he might be able to do on the market. And Homer was considered to be like the preeminent blocking running back, right. one of the best. DJ's a good blocker, but he's not like Homer. No, not in the yeah. same vicinity where Homer was, right? Great point. Yeah. Yeah, so you're a no on DJ? I'm just a no, man. I, I think that there's that you can you can shoot bigger even for that fourth running back role there's better right. in these drafts man we look at these drafts every year there's guys that are like ooh, that guy there ooh, that guy there you know and i that's where i i'm stuck on mm-hmm. yeah i wrote down just based off other running back contracts i wrote down like one year 1.6 million and i'm a no on that and honestly like even vet men like that's still more money than i'm spending on a seventh round running back right that's right. Uh, by by much so because a couple hundred thousand dollars on the other side, four, three, four hundred thousand dollars on the on the yeah. uh, on that guy. So yeah, it's it's that's that stuff adds up over over um, a roster, man. If you can get those in for the cheaper spots, and you got to choose those positions you find cheaper spots in, right? Like you can't yeah. roll with everything on the high cost range of things. Right. So I I don't know why you would bring him back. It doesn't really make any sense on any level to me to bring back uh, DJ. So I'm uh, definitely a no there. I think. Uh, 
before we get to the restricted guys, you want to go through these donos? Yeah. Let's pop through the donos. Sorry, Jose, a little bit slow on uh, acknowledging on that one, but thank you for the $2 donation. Marshawn, eligible for the Hall of Fame next year. Should he go and go Hawks? Hmm. Um, I think he should. I don't think he will. That's kind of how I've been feeling for a while now. I think that his performance in the league combined with the fact that he's such an iconic part of football lore for his era, like him and Adrian Peterson, probably the most iconic running backs of their era of that era. Mm -hmm. He should get in, but he probably won't. No. And and I think the thing that holds him back, Brennan is not anything to have to do with on the field or even a longevity thing, or even a 10,000 yard thing. I think what ends up holding him back is he was the, I don't want to talk to the media guy. And uh, I know he's opened that up and has and now gotten better as far as retirement and maybe doing some of that stuff. But uh, those media members, whether it's baseball, basketball, or football, and they're voting on the hall, that's who votes on the hall as media members. They tend to hold grudges for this type mm-hmm. of thing. And so I'm, I'm anticipating that there's going to be some grudges against Marshawn for not being as more forthright and making their job easier to be done. I don't think that that should be held against him. And in my opinion, he is the Earl Campbell of this generation, bare minimum. Earl got in. Earl was also a guy that didn't have necessarily the longevity. I think Marshawn actually has more yards than Earl Campbell. I think that if a guy like Earl gets in, if a guy like Terrell Davis gets in, uh, as you said, to me, there's got to be a bit of an impact on this of, was this guy a, a player of his generation? Before we get to stats and everything else, was the reputation of this guy of a, man, this is a tone setter. This is one of the best at his position. This is a guy that you strap your helmet on just a little bit more firmly when you're walking on the football field with Marshawn Lynch on the other side of you. And if if that's the case, and we can, I agree with your list of saying, well, there's there's Peterson and the Marshawn. Those are your two backs of this generation. I mean, it was hard to be a, gener- a generational back in this spot, right? A lot yeah. of those Dalvin Cook types that might give you a couple of years, but then it's off off the cliff they go. So uh, I think he's deserved it. I think he's earned it. I think he should get into it. I think someday he will, but not first ballot. It's going to probably take him a couple of swings to probably get in. Yeah, to me, it's Edron James is in the Hall of Fame, so Marshawn should get in. That's always mm-hmm. kind of the way I've looked at it, That, which is also why I think Sean Alexander should be in, but he's not going to get in at this point. Like I've, I've talked about this before. If you have a decent career and you win a league MVP, I think he should get in. I can, I can understand that argument with it. I, I can. Um, and that's because mm-hmm. the MVP is the most valuable player. And so it's not taking the sporting cast and play. It's in you were the most valuable. And uh, Sean gets in. I'm not going to be mad. He got in. Marshawn got in. I'm not going to be mad at either of that. It's great if the Hawks get in. But uh, the, Mar- the, the Sean one's an ex- interesting argument to have and to, to break down because it's kind of like on the other end of it where the stats now weigh out a little bit more than some of the other things coming into play there a bit. Um, but I think you're right. If these, this guy gets in, then that gets in, right? It's a logical principle like, okay, what's the standard here? Right. Yeah. You hit the exactly. standard. You hit the standard. Yeah. Because it's not even like a Joe Namath thing. Edron James got in what? Uh, less than 15 years ago. It's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's been pre- pretty recent with him. So he didn't have to wait that long. And yeah, he got in. I think the thing with Edron's that he has that where he's got Marshawn beat is just so many more of those receiving yards. It's like mm-hmm. you're adding like 5,000 receiving yards, I think, with Edron on top of the 10,000 rushing yards. Um, and with Edron too, I think they go, well, hey, did he have two Hall of Famers blocking for him up front? He had Sat- he had Jeff Saturday. That's going to be one. Um, Didn't Tariq Glenn make it, or did he not? That might sound right. We're maybe one of those. Yeah. Just a second here. <laughs> yeah. And Edron was not the same after the injury. I think he got injured in like 03, and he came back, and he was so slow. It was so depressing. 
Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. He was never really a big burst guy. He had just enough to be extra, and then you lose that little bit, and it's like your average. Yeah. Tariq didn't get in, but he did have some good linemen too in addition to that. And, okay. and Jeff Saturday. So it wasn't like he was dealing behind crap lines and everything else. And hey, look, how much was Edron benefited by Peyton Manning and what he mm-hmm. was doing with that too? So it's oh, like, yeah. yeah, I think your point's right. I think if that guy gets on, then you got to go with the other one and say he deserves on the other side of it. Mega Lucario, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate you for that. Says, maybe we can draft Luke McCaffrey and he can terrorize the 49ers with a McCaffrey of our own. Also, what's the ideal first round trade down for you guys? Yeah, I haven't looked at Luke Luke McCaffrey that much. Uh, The uh, son of a famous NFL player that I've been into is, of course, the Frank Gore Jr. one because uh, I like that guy. (laughs) Understandable, man. He's a fun player. So yeah. he's, he's really good. Yeah. So I don't know much about Luke, but I've heard he's good. Yeah. Luke's good, but mega probably goes, I think fourth, fifth round range does Luke McCaffrey. Um, what you do like about him too, is he's a, he's the son of the player who's playing the position his father played in, you know? And so what you see with him is a very high level of refinement as a receiver coming out in his ability to, you know, um, pace his routes, get off the line of scrimmage, deal with physicality through his routes, how to sit down in zones, just some general things that as a, a son of a, a former player that's played the position, you think you'd understand. And that was his dad. Dad was not a tremendously talented guy. He was like 6'4", kind of your Joe Jervicious kind of kind of a body style. And mm-hmm. so he was a guy that was about the contested catch. You know, he was just – he was constantly getting lit up, but he'd hold on to the ball and make the grab whenever they needed the tough grab um, when it wasn't Shannon Sharp or the, the other receiver they had there at the time made doing Rod what he Smith. was doing. Rod Smith doing what he was doing. So um, Caffrey's fun. He's a good player. He's not uh, – he's, he's much different from his brother. But uh, a good player, nonetheless. My ideal trade down scenario in round one is a twofer. I go 15, 25, 25, maybe even to the top of the second. Hopefully, getting to a finalized point of picking up five total picks in the top 90 at that point. That's my ideal scenario. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty on board with that. I don't know if I want to leave the first round completely. It, it depends on how the draft is falling, right? Because I mean, if Brock Bowers is there at 16, I don't want to trade down at all. No, no. It's in general terms. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, uh, I'm not a uh, fundamentalist on this, right? Like I don't have to have it be like, it's gotta be that it's what I would do if in general terms, you know, Zerzon Newton sitting there or, uh, you know, uh, what, um, Braylon Trice is sitting there or, uh, you know, and there is, that's where I would, I would move. But Brock Bowers is my no-go. If I'm, if he's there, I'm grabbing that all day. Dallas Turner. No. Because my thinking on this is that there's two, there's 10 blue chip players in this draft. I designate a blue chip player as star potential. I designate the tier two range as above average starter potential. So from 11 to about 65, 70, you're in to me above average starter potential range of the draft. So why pick at the top of that, right? Why pick at the top of that pie if it's all similarly talented throughout in that stretch instead of if you have the ability to pick up more picks in that stretch of period. And is Dallas Turner in that 10 for you? No, are no, none, none, of, none of the edges are blue. Chip. Really? No, not even Latu. Latu is supremely talented as far as using his hands and as a technician, but from a natural talent with explosion, like I don't think he's going to test great with the 10 yard split. So I, and I don't think that it's naturally necessarily like that bender that gets around the edge with explosiveness. It's more explosiveness with his hands and, you know, working that, that technique, you know, chaining together pass rush moves, which will work to a degree. But I, I don't think it's a like take a guy that was like this a couple of years ago, Brendan Hutchinson. Hutchinson was the same way coming out, right? Aiden was very much a technician, but then he also had the testing numbers that back that up, that pushed them up to be that top end pick. 
right? He had the elite 10-yard split on top of that. And so that's where I don't – I'm guessing on this, but I'm guessing Latou is not going to bring that same kind of elite 10-yard split. Right. Um, I want to kind of trade down until you can still come away with one of the top interior offensive linemen, like the uh, Graham Barton, Troy Fatanu, JPJ uh, – I'm forgetting Bebe. somebody. Yeah, if Bebe launches up, for some reason he ends up in the third round of all these big boards. I don't know what's going on, but – I don't either. I don't either. But I, mean, I feel like it's going to correct. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but uh, I don't want to trade down so far that I lose out on all of those guys. Then I'm going to be annoyed. But um, I'm, I'm willing to trade down as far as it takes to get to that part of the draft. Agreed. I would be in the same same mold. I wouldn't want to move out to my ideal is once I'm done trading back Michael Lucario to do what Brendan's advocating for is then you just grab one of the best of the bunch there of that collection of about four guys that are all around the same place, all really high value, all really safe picks, and all hitting what would be a very much a desperate need for us, um, in my opinion. And we look at this line right now. Thank you, Omega. Uh, and thank you, Nolan, for another donation as well. He says, what about Westover, the tight end out of Washington, as an undrafted rookie free agent? Guy is all hands. I think there's going to be a serious push to bring Westover to Seattle, one way or the other. Uh, I don't think he's big enough to get drafted, but he makes all the sense in the world for what we need right now because we're probably going to need a third tight end mm. because I think we keep Disley. I think one way or the other, we get another starting caliber tight end. Either we keep Colby or we draft Bowers or we draft Stover or whatever, or Jatavion Sanders. That's another guy. Uh, and then we need like that third tight end and Westover is just perfect for that role. He, he could be like, uh, what was the name of the guy who caught the game winner against Tampa Bay in 2019? Oh yeah. Hollister. Hollister. Yeah. He could be like our Jacob Hollister with better hands. I like it. And I, I, every time I watch the Huskies, Westover was doing something that was, you know, the guy's catch radius and his ability to catch tough balls and, and, you know, big moments showing up like he did. Um, I mean, hell, if you want to take a flyer in the seventh round to kind of fill out the tight end room like that, Brendan, I'm okay with doing that too on this. So uh, I, I liked Westover concierge. I didn't watch him as much on his blocking ability, but um, undoubted, man, when the you throw him the ball, contested catch situations or not, he's going to reel that thing in. So. Sign me up for that, man. That's a great idea, and I'm I'm with it. Yeah, a lot of these tight ends can't catch, Brendan. <laughs> Some of these draft lines. I'm heard like, ooh, the hands are not there on this guy. It's a right. little bit rough. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the five dollar donation. Says Killer Bees, give me your percentage chances Marshawn gets in the Hall of Fame on a first ballot. I think he gets in on a first ballot, but it's all just on gut instinct. Two percent. Uh, I'm gonna go one percent, Garth. <laughs> these these Garth, these reporters are bitter bitches. I'm sorry, but they just are. They they get this like thing. They get they get like you've you know they're like like a mob boss that's been like disrespected or something. Oh, how dare you? How dare you disrespect me, Marshawn? I have the power of your Hall of Fame above you. You will respect that. You know, respect my authority. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, like it's it. it's it's childish as hell. It really is by these sports writers. Like, let go. Your job's not to be like. Did he treat me with the respect? Did he kiss my brass ring? No. Was he a great player on the football field? Judge it for that. Leave the rest of the stuff out of it. Um, so he deserves to be in, but they're bitter, Garth, and they just, this is the way they've rolled. I've seen it in, in the sports in a variety of different ways show itself up. You know, the sports writers kind of like, especially those old school guys, have a real, a lot more extra ego than they need to be having. Like, chill out. You know what I mean? You're not playing. You know what I mean? 
Like, yeah. So what you're saying is Bill Belichick's not going to get in the Hall of Fame. Well, no yeah. media like. <laughs> yeah, but then there's a point where you supersede it so far by what you've done in your accomplishments that even they can't get bitter yeah. about it because they look so bad at that point of like, ooh, somebody's somebody's being ridiculous. It looks like it looks childish to me. That's what it comes off as being, and it is. It's like be a grown up. You know, some guys just don't want to talk to the media. It's not their fault. They're there to play the game. I know oh, they signed up for that. Okay. But not everybody wants to sit there with cameras in their face and be super eloquent and try to come up with stuff. So I'm I'm okay with it. I don't I don't think you should have it held up against him, but it will be Garth. I, I think it will be. And if it doesn't, then I'll give the reporters Garth a lot of credit for changing their ways. And maybe the new generation of reporters aren't going to be so with a stick stuck up their butt about the process, you know. Right. Jose Garcia, thank you for the two dollar donation. Uh, he asks uh, any former Hawks who might join the coaching staff. <laughs> Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm God, are any of them coming up the ranks? One guy, uh, I did see one Niners account on X suggest that Richard Sherman should be their new defensive coordinator, which is a hysterical idea. Once again, please do it. Yeah, <laughs> please, please, by God, do that. <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah, you, you know, he's got a, you know, he's got enough CTE to match a John Lynch in there for sure. So, oh, definitely, definitely, step for step on that one. Uh so I don't know if that they're saying that because they think Sherman's going to become a coach, but um, it's not like these guys have a lot of ties back to this organization anymore. Before then, it was like, oh, Pete's here. That's the guy who actually coached me. Now I get to uh, coach under him. But now you don't have that. So I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so, Jose. It's been more of the former coaches have been um, – former players have been the coach. The players that haven't necessarily reached the heights, I think, you know, your Chris Richards or your uh, Deshaun Sheds or, you know, your – it's it's more along these lines that you're going to bring a guy. And there's not a lot of those out there in the league right now. So I, I don't foresee there any being anybody. And I, I don't think that any of these real – like people mentioned K.J. Wright or something like that. I don't think that they want a coach. Richard's doing just fine – in his pundit role and doing what he's doing. I don't think that he wants to go into that grind. It's hard to be a coach in the NFL. It's a lot of hours. It's, it's, it's kind of unsung kind of work too, as well, um, where you're not always, you know, revered for what you're doing and putting in all that hard work. So I, I just don't think these guys want to necessarily do that myself. Yeah. It's not very rewarding being a coach. I don't think you work probably I've theorized about this before, but you're working what 120 hours a week. Oh yeah. If you're sleeping in your office, I think your head's popping up and you're just bam, right back into work the next week. And it's, it's brutal. You got to love what you do on it. And if you're just kind of like, well, I love being a player, but I think I would kind of like to be a coach. Not enough. You know, it requires more than that. Right. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for the donation there, Jose. Um, oh, give me one second, Brendan. Sorry. Give no me just problemo. Just one moment, guys. He'll be right back. Thank you for bearing with me. All right. So you're ready to crank through these final few free agents. Let's do it. All right. So we've got two restricted guys. Two guys are restricted free agents. And uh, the restricted right of first refusal tag this year is $2.828 million. Okay. So just shy of three. So the first restricted free agent, I'll lead with this one. Daryl Taylor. I don't think you're going to put the second round or first round tender on this guy. That's not a consideration. The only consideration is, do you want to do the 2.828 tender? And to me, it depends on whether or not you're planning on going after somebody like, say, uh, Clowney. If mm -hmm. you're going to go after somebody like uh, Kyle Van Noy, one of Mike McDonald's boys, 
Mm -hmm. Um, If you're doing that, then there's no room for Taylor. You just let him go. Let him uh, sign where he signs. If you don't do that, if you're looking at this edge room like, okay, you've got Nwosu, you've got Mafe, and you've got Hall, then I'm at least open to it. I'm not saying that I would be a yes, but I would be like, okay, if you want to spend $2.8 million on a guy like a Daryl Taylor, maybe Mike McDonald gets something better out of him. I don't know. I'm not going to be angry about that. But um, again, my ideal would be to go for somebody like a Clowney this offseason. That would be my dream. Yeah, I would be a hard no on it. I, I think that the same issues that Daryl Taylor has in pass coverage where it's like there's a way you can say the guys where you go, well, he's got a little bit of an issue in pass coverage or, oh, my God, don't leave that guy in pass coverage. Well, Daryl Taylor is the same thing when it comes to dealing with the run game and that he can't play the run. And as a pass rusher, he's not progressed or taken any steps forward. And when I put that combination, I go, no, I don't want to spend $3 million on that. I don't want the guy in the field anymore. He's not helping us win football games. And if that's the case, then it's not worth $3 million to me. I think a Kyle Val- if we uh, Clowney would be an ideal, obvious, but if we're just talking about a Van Noy, who probably costs you maybe a one-year, $3 million deal, the same that you're going to spend about on on um, at his age. He, he coming off a nine-sack year, plays good run defense off the edge when you need him to play, like much more of a complete player and a better pass rusher at this point. You'd be merely going with Taylor because, well, he's younger. But it's not about who's better. And at this point in time, I'm not trying to keep players for what, you know, it's to me not Mike's job to come in here and, you know, fix all the broken toys. You know, if it's broken, it's broken. Move on and find something that you can work with and that, that comes in the door with a little bit less um, errors in its code. Right, right. Okay. So I'm not completely closed off to it, but I kind of want to do something else at this point, especially mm-hmm. now that we're refreshing this coaching staff. Like the previous coaching staff may have had some affinity or loyalty to Daryl Taylor, but these guys won't. Right. So you may as well use that opportunity to move off of somebody like that. Our other restricted free agent. And I was told by many people that he is restricted. So even though my research indicated he might not be, I I guess he is Michael Jackson. So same Mm -hmm. rules apply. You lead with this one. I'm a yes on this one. Um, one guy that we left off on the free agent list, but it, it's okay that we did because I don't think he's really in in part coming back here would be the, uh, what was that corner that we had from the Steelers here last year? Artie uh, Burns. Artie Burns. So, wow, he's not listed here. Spotrek messed up. <laughs> yeah, they must messed up. Um, but it's, he wasn't going to come anyway, so it's okay. But you've got Artie Burns going off. you got Michael Jackson going off and losing two. Um, you're going to need to bring two in from some other place. What I would look to do in this type of situation would be Tender at the, the Mike Jackson at that 2.8 because I think that he you do play zone in the system, so you can he does fit to some of that that you can bring in the there on it. Um, and we don't know what the maybe Kobe Bryant moves back and be in the other corner at that point. We'll see what they choose to do. Maybe they draft a guy. Um, some of this depends upon Mike McDonald's outlook of the corners in this draft, Brendan, because it's a very strong draft for cornerbacks. So that's going to be a little bit of what maybe impacts the outlook on this one. But I thought Michael had a Pretty strong year when he was out there playing last year. I think for the price, he gives you a good all-around player that can play a good, pretty strong zone and then also a very good tackler out there um, in the position. And um, this might be also one with, depending on how the Tariq Wollen thing settles out too within this, you know, is Tariq Wollen looked as a long-term guy as well. So I I think I could see some upshot on this one. Yeah, I I think the Wollen situation obligates you to keep Jackson as a break glass in case of Wollen not working out type situation. Mm -hmm. And for 2.8, he's worth that. I think on the open market, he'd get about $3 million a year. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think some. I think his own team would jump on at least for that. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is our other restricted free agent. Now we just have six uh, exclusive rights free agents. Okay. And uh, to go over ERFA rules, ext- exclusive rights. Basically, it means they have a tender that is equivalent to the minimum amount of money a player can make with their level of experience. It's um, that varies depending on how many years you play, but it's always going to be like less than a million. Mm-hmm. So always like eight, 985,000, 905,000, somewhere around there. And the player cannot turn it down. If they don't want to be tendered, the only thing they can really do is retire or beg the team to just take it off of them. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So our six ERFAs, uh, I'll lead off with Jake Curhan. ERFA would cost less than a million to keep him around. Um, it's uncomfortable. The problem is if you're bringing him back to be your backup right tackle, that kind of sucks because you you know you're probably going to have to use your backup right tackle at some point because of the Abe Lucas thing. I need something a little better than Curhan at my backup right tackle spot. But Curhan has played at other positions. He's played on the interior. There is a little bit of flexibility there. So if the situation was normal and Abe Lucas didn't have these injury concerns, I would say yes. But I think because of the Abe Lucas situation, I kind of have to be a no. I have to aim a little bit higher right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just don't think he gives you a lot. There's a familiarity there, but I don't think there's a lot of great play there right now as it currently stands. So agreed. Yeah, it, it sucks because I like Kerhan. I, I love what he's been able to do here. I think that he's overachieved expectations coming out of college, but it does. It, I just can't make it make sense. I need somebody like uh, at least a Roger Rosengarten level player. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would be the same way. I, I and which I think again, I think he's going to go up boards, but it, that's more of where I think you should shoot, shoot for. And you've got Stone who can play both sides, so it's also mm-hmm. that's you feel okay about where it's at with that because of that. Uh, okay, next up, you lead with this one, Miles Adams, ERFA. Miles Adams, uh, three tech, been a been a actually had some had some moments where he's been okay on the field at times. I don't think you like he ever really kind of took the step forward. I was hoping he could take in his game, and I, I don't know if that step forward's coming. I think that they gave him some ample opportunities, and where the defensive line was playing last year, there was a ton of opportunities, but um, just didn't wasn't able to really take advantage of it. I, I think the three techs kind of stacked as it is right now, especially bring back Leonard Williams. So you're signing him at that 1 million as the, the fourth three tech on the roster at that point. Is he really going to get much of any opportunities to really play? Um, it's a draft filled with a lot of really good three techs that you might be able to get third, fourth, fifth round, a guy that, that gives you a, a similar, if not better skill set at that point. Um, I, I'm not against doing it, Brennan. I don't have like a, a passionate feeling on this one, but I would probably be more no than yes because of that. Yeah, I, I, in a vacuum, I would do it. But in this circumstance, you probably can't because of the uh, three-tech situation that you just mentioned. Um, I think this is a guy you probably hope makes it through to the practice squad. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably going to yeah, be the play be, here. That'd be great if you could pull that off, sure. Yeah, um, but I, I still kind of like Miles Adams. I feel like uh, the right circumstance could bring out something okay in him. I like him more than I should. Yeah, I again, I always thought he was going to take a little bit more of a step. Never thought star, but just maybe find a way to get her solidly into a role in the team on the line. It never kind of went that way. And I I do wonder if part of it is just that Pete fell in love with some of his guys. Like Jaron Reed is my guy. He's going to play 800 snaps every week. You know, very well could have been. Yeah. That adds up. Uh, Next ERFA, I'll lead Joshua Onu Giogu played a little bit last year. 
but um, I, I don't see any reason why he would be better than any other player you could get in UDFA this year. So I'm going to be a no on that one. Yeah, there's not much there with this one. I'd, I'd be no too. Yeah. Um, you take uh, Brady Russell. Brady Russell. Um, my man, I didn't see hardly any of them on the field. So I just would probably go no on that one. I don't, don't know too much with him, but I think you just no. I have that. Don't have any real information with him, though. Yeah, I mean, even if you want to go really, really cheap at tight end three, then I you can do the Westover thing. That's actually cheaper. It's actually yeah. less money to get Westover in UDFA than it is to keep Brady Russell around. Right. Which that's a big. It's like half the price, basically, on that right. on that front of things. So yeah, no, I'd I'd be a no on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Next guy, I will take Ty Okada, and this one I'm actually a yes on. Got a help the safety room out a little bit. I liked Okada in college when I watched his tape a little bit. Uh, he's somebody who's been around for a year now. I know he was just on the practice squad and he never played, but he was here. And mm. we're going to be dumping some serious safeties. Plus, remember, Jarek Reed's going to start the season on IR probably. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep Okada around, maybe just for the first few weeks until Jarek Reed can come back. But I want him to stick around. I'm willing to throw that ERFA tag down on him. I, uh, again, just a little bit like last Brady. I don't know too much with, uh, Okada. So probably watched a little bit of college tape on last year, but, uh, not much else other than that with it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And the, uh, final one is Patrick O'Connell, the linebacker. Yeah. With the army, is that the army kid? I think, um, uh, I think he was Montana or Montana, Montana state. state. Yeah. I, he was in for a little bit last year in preseason. I don't think he did much to flash, um, very so, slow. <laughs> very slow. Um, so there's not there's not really much there with that one either to interest yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, even with how thin we are at linebacker, I think I'm a no on that one too. Yeah. I yeah, and then we are thin, but yeah, what are you gonna do? You know? All right, and uh we did it. That's all of them. We got all through the free agents. Uh and uh I, I think it's all pretty manageable. I think we can create enough money to keep most of these guys. And uh I think most of the guys we're gonna lose are the guys we don't mind losing. No, and I think there's a way for the Hawks within this, Brendan, too, to because I don't think there'd be as much money out there in free agency for them to spend even after we do these resignings. There is a way to play the compensatory game on these. So with not necessarily resigning some of these guys, like your Fant, your Damian Lewis, your Jordan Brooks, you know. So a nice part about resigning Bobby and Leonard Williams and then potentially maybe only one other signing you might make major-wise out on free agency if you do is that then that offset maybe still works in your favor. Maybe you don't get the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, round pick compensatory. Maybe it's a, a fourth and a fifth. You know, something like that on right. our offset. Maybe somebody will hire Aiden Durden a couple of years to be their head coach. Hey, hey, hey. You know what I mean? Two third round picks. Two yep. third round picks. Let's go. But go. um, what else is there? Um, I will say when I put together my per- personal preferred path for this offseason, I was able to get through all of this and still have about $35 million in cap space. Now about 12 million is going to go to the draft because you also have to pay your UDFA some money. Uh, so it's not going to all carry over into open free agency, but I was able to create like 20 million for open free agency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's about where my numbers were too. I was a little, I was a little tighter, especially for doing the Leonard Williams, Bobby signing both. Mm-hmm. Like if those two do click in and go down. Then for me, the money got a little tighter on that at that point. But initially with the recuts I was willing to do, we were at, you are rolling over too. It's a little bit talked about. This doesn't get brought up much, Brendan, but you will be rolling some money over from this year's cap in addition. Um, it's at $7 million unused 
according to sports track right now, I think there's some finalized business they have to do on the books for this year. Like a couple guys get injury settlements or whatever. It'll be about 5 million. You'll probably roll, um, into this next year's cap on top. So there's a little bit of space there. There, there's a little bit to do with, but, uh, we gotta be, we gotta be a little bit surgical rather than, you know, it's going to be the, uh, what the scalpel rather than the, uh, <clears throat> than the, uh, ax, you know, this mm-hmm. off season with our approach. Right. So I, I, I'm excited, man. I think that this is a very feasible way to go about things. And I think that if we do it, we're going to be looking pretty good for 2024. I agree, man. And you set the stage too, by I think with some of the moves we're advocating for by both maybe positioning yourself for a chance to make some noise in 2024, but also not having an all in approach to where you've got the future still there and ready to be okay with. Cause some of this has also got to be with can't go hog wild this year. Cause right now already with 2025, we're, we're sitting on about $40 million of cap space for 2025 right now as it currently stands. So, right. Got to keep it on okay. that just a little bit. Well, uh, folks, thank you for tuning in today. Really appreciate all of the uh, many donations over on the chat and channel here. Uh, as I always say, just do me this quick favor here and hit that like button if you could for me on either whether watching on Brendan's side or my side. Either way, hit that like button. It does help this show up on other algorithm searches. Uh, do get subscribed up the Hawks Nest or Seahawks Brendan Nelson on either side of that. Uh, we will be doing these shows at least once a week and a couple, we'll get a couple two two shows in a week. I'm sure we'll fit in here this off season as well. So mm-hmm. uh, keep track, keep, keep locked in with us as we will keep this, uh, keep this going. Any final thoughts from you on this, Brendan? Uh, no, I think we covered it all pretty good. Um, Gino's contract becomes fully guaranteed tomorrow. So we're less than three hours away. They've already announced they're going to do it. I'm, that would be yeah. really mean, right? Yeah. That would be really mean. Pretty cold-blooded, they, yeah. Pretty, yeah, and I guess cold. uh I guess Draymond, they haven't said anything about Draymond. They could do something in the next two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense. We knew this was going to go where these guys probably were going to stay. There was a chance they could go, but it just didn't make a ton of sense for it to happen. So this this tracks to what we thought would play out and go down, and uh, that's better for the team, better for this upcoming season, the potential for the season that they're taking this approach, I think, Brendan. So mm-hmm. I'm encouraged. Encouraged and liking what we're seeing. All right. And right. uh, next week's show is going to be uh, open free agency, the free agents from other teams that the Seahawks might be looking at. And we will be on on Tuesday next week because I'm doing a trip on Thursday. So this B&B show will be taking place on Tuesday next week with that particular show. So be on the lookout for your notifications from that. We'll get the show set up here maybe this weekend or something to get the, the notes to you guys on that. Uh, Brendan, thank you for coming in the house and doing this as ever, man. I appreciate you on that. Thank you. We will be back in less than a week fan, span here, Seahawks fans, but the offseason's heating up. Things are cooking. We're getting a bit more firmer uh, picture of what's going to go down here this offseason and what the plan is, and we're going to get even further as we go through this offseason. So stick with us. Keep the faith here on this rebuild. It's looking good. The parameters looking right. Things are being done smart. The coaching hires sounded pretty smart in those press conferences today and the way they talked about this team and their approach. All of them seem to be in successively pointing in the same direction and how they want to seek to accomplish this, which is very, very, very encouraging. Back in less than a week, but until that time, my fellow Seahawks fans, please, by God, don't you ever forget. Never, ever, ever forget. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.